0: Thank you. Episode 47 of the Swamp podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. James Cohn. All three of us are in uh, James's new apartment just outside Bayou St. John in Mid-City New Orleans. Uh, we are doing our best of 2017 episode today. It's been six months since all three of us have been in the room together. We are recording on a new microphone and we took December off so that we had a guest host through all of December. So I actually haven't talked to either of y'all on the microphone in quite a while. So this is kind of a special catch-up episode. Uh, and I actually have no idea what's on anyone's top 10s, even though I just published mine the other day. I'm completely blind on y'all, so okay. this is very exciting. How do y'all feel about the year? Did you have like a hard time narrowing it down
1: to 10? or? I mean, for me, I pretty much saw very little in the theaters, and then the last month, I was just trying to play catch-up and saw a crap ton of movies in December. So yeah, I missed a lot of stuff when it first came out, but I feel like I got a good, pretty good sense of 2017. And it was a really good year for movies. I don't know, like... I think it was, like, way better than last year
2: for me, because, like, I love, like, horror and thrillers, and I feel like this was, like, the year for horror and thriller movies.
1: They definitely made a lot of
0: money. I yeah. I mean, between, like, It and Get Out, like... Yeah. They made a shit ton of money this year.
2: So it's kind of hard to narrow it down for me in that way, because it's my favorite genre. I mean, I saw
0: a lot of movies, probably more than ever before, so, like... I could probably also say I had like a great year, just, just shitting them out like yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got movie watching diarrhea in Britney's parlance. Um, <laughs> but instead of like probably what you've been doing, James is like scouring lists, like trying to find stuff to catch up with. I kind of stopped doing that around mid-December and just focused on like rewatching things I hadn't seen in months. It's hard to like say, "Oh, this movie I saw back in January." how does that compare to one I saw in November? Like, it's hard to remember that far back. So like, I've been on like rewatch mode for the past few weeks, um, which is actually something I might start doing like in the future. Cause I really like rearranged everything I had in, numbered in order. You so know?
1: change your opinion on
0: some things watching it a second time. It made it easier for me to order stuff. Like it was hard for me to say what was better or what I enjoyed more or what I found more interest in. Cause all I had recorded really was my immediate experience leaving the theater so it's just more
1: like perspective on like how gotcha. everything fit into pieces. Yeah, see, for me it was like the exact opposite. Where I watched everything so close together that it was kind of easy to rank them because they were all very fresh in my mind. So, anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, we have a lot to talk
0: about today. I'm sure yeah. we're going to be talking about a <laughs> ton of movies. We're probably going to go on a little long. I promise these will stop being as long as they've been recently. It's very soon. Um, Don't break your promise. But we are going to get into our favorite movies uh, of the year. And all that's coming up to you right Right now.
1: I don't get it. The prophecy said if we activate the sword crystal inside the temple, we could destroy Sun Snatcher. Perhaps there's a lesson here, Brixby. When solving for x on a one dimensional plane where minus 1 by the magnitude of 1 equals minus x,
0: always solve for vector r.
1: Until our next adventure, remember, Prophecy is meaningless. Trust only your familial unit. And please, discard leftover food rations in the yellow bin, not the red one.
0: Goodbye! And without much further ado, uh, let's get the list started. Last year we started with James, um, and I guess we should go ahead and start let's with make him make again. Make it a tradition. As yeah, tradition.
1: I'm going to kind of start things on a pretty fucked up note, and my number 10 is going to be We Are the Flesh. You had recommended it to me a while back. And I sort of read a synopsis and I was like, oh man, like I don't know if I want to go there. And I kind of, just throughout the years, like, kind of stopped seeking out those like really shocking, transgressive type of films. But I, I gave it a chance recently and I was blown away at the level of fucked up that this movie got to. It's a um, Mexican-French production. And basically it just centers around the apocalypse has happened or whatever, and there's these two uh, people, their brother and sister, and they end up meeting this guy who sort of recruits them to help build this cave that basically looks like a birth canal, and they basically, (laughs) like, start going into depravity very quickly, and it kind of touches on basically the worst aspects of human nature. You got your necrophilia, you got Ugh, a little cool. rape in there. You got incest. Uh, a little incest to start things off.
2: Everything uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> yeah, really uncomfortable. But it's definitely that kind of art house style. It reminded me of kind of like a Jordowski, uh, you know, like El Topo kind of style, mixed with like a Gaspar Noe, like irreversible, yeah, has kind of thing like, going on.
0: French New Extremity vibe to it, which I guess Gaspar Noe gets lumped into that sometimes. Uh, So it's kind of like Martyrs, you know, like, and uh, Inside and all that stuff where, like, it's trying to transcend through depravity. Like, there's extreme violence and extreme unsimulated sex. Yes. Uh, It tries to, like, reach some sort of other plane of, like, mental existence by pushing through those uncomfortable things. And,
1: And what I'll say is, like, the ending of this movie, which... I don't know if we... Because I want people to see it. it that if would ruin that. All I want to say is that it wrapped it up in a way to where I think it actually did break through. To where it wasn't just shocking for shocking sake. There is like a deeper point that's made at the very end of the film that I think really tied it up nicely for me. But more than anything else, like I said before, I have seen so much messed up stuff in movies and I always feel like nothing is going to shock me. And then when I finally see something like this, it's shocking, but then also has this deeper subtext going on. It just really kind of scratched that itch that I haven't gone to in a while. Mm -hmm. It's kind of refreshing to see, like, no, you can still make subversive, really transgressive films in 2017 that have have, like, a message as well, and there's still something to say. I was pretty blown away by it, and that was a very good recommendation. Yeah, I've been, like, a,
0: evangelizing for that movie, like, probably since March, like, trying to get people to watch it, mm-hmm. and it is, like, a hard sell. Like, uh, I want you to watch this, like, extreme incest horror film right. about people who are, like, locked in this warehouse together. It's not something that people are always going to be <laughs> in the mood for, but... I've been waiting to yeah, I'm in the mood for it, <laughs> and I still haven't watched it. But it also <laughs> does have, like, it's beautifully shot, too. Mm-hmm. It's psychedelic. There's, like, right. colored lights and uh, the cave that they're building out of these, like, cardboard boxes stops being artificial at some point and becomes this, like, real natural space just through, like, their de-evolving and, like, detaching oh. from reality. I've been kind of penning it as, like, a surrealist masterpiece. Hmm. I, really, I think that it reaches beyond, like, a freak show to establish this, like, very uncomfortable headspace, but one that's, like, plugging into these very specific fears and taboos and things that your mind would normally push to the side and, like, making you live in it to the point where nothing matters anymore. And then, like, they start describing the human body as just, like, meat and flesh and uh so just breaking down, like, what we are as human beings and how we relate
1: to each other until nothing really matters anymore. That's, like, kind of the idea is if you think the world has ended, then you don't have the social pressures that tell you, like, even though you might, in the back of your head think that your sister is attractive you kind of push that out like of course society tells me i can never like try to have sex with her but then if the world's ending all those social norms sort of break oh, down yeah and so that idea it just takes that to like a very shocking end yeah and we'll talk about that movie a little more later because obviously i've been very high on it all year
0: um, i've probably mentioned it on this show probably like 10 times since i first saw <laughs> it uh let's move on to Brittany. what was your number 10 for the year
2: So my number 10 is probably the longest film title of 2017. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Fuck yeah. I had no intention of watching it. And then you mentioned that Elijah Wood had a rat tail, which that's what like kind of got me to watch (laughs) it because I've always had like this fascination with rat tails Um, and Elijah Wood. So it's kind of like best of both worlds. It's. A very cute and goofy and strange movie. One word to just describe it is like it's very sweet, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah, it's like a
0: revenge tale, but it's it's kind of sweet. (laughs) It's
2: very sweet. So basically, um, our main character is played by... How do you pronounce Melanie?
0: Melanie Linsky.
2: Linsky, right. She was from Heavenly Creatures... Um, that's the only thing I can remember. Her is being she in? And uh, stuff but she I'm she a cheerleader. In. Right. But she has this very like innocent voice and this very like innocent look to her. And
0: she's got that New Zealand like sweetness to her voice. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So someone breaks into her house and steals her grandmother's silverware, and she is so like focused on like getting this shit back. Mm-hmm. And she has this very strange neighbor, Elijah Wood, Rat Tail Boy. I'm trying to think of like a good way to describe him.
0: He's like a hair metal Napoleon dynamite.
2: Yes. That's perfect. But like, just like, you know, those guys that are like, let me get my nunchucks and let me show you this (laughs) giant sword I have on my wall and how cool it is. And, you know, like they both have this level of like kindness to them. That's very mutual, even though he's got this like kind of wackier side to him than she does. And they kind of become this, like, Batman and Robin duo, and they try to get, well, they get the silverware back and come across a group of meth heads.
0: Yeah, and one of them's played by uh, <laughs> David Yao of Jesus Lizard. Jesus
2: Lizard guy, yeah. yeah. He's
0: terrifying.
2: <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of like a, a nice action movie. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's made by Macon Blair, who was the director, who starred okay. in uh, Green Room and Blue Ruin. Uh, The two Jeremy Saulnier movies. Uh, And It's taking the same, like, revenge tale, like, violence Mm -hmm. of those films and making it this sort of absurdist comedy. Yeah. Um, Along with her silverware, they also steal her medication. Right. So as the movie goes along, she starts to lose grip with reality. And her revenge mission doesn't really make any sense. Like, (laughs) her goal is for people to stop being assholes. And dildos. And dildos. (laughs) And fuckfaces. Yeah. Um, Which is such an abstract goal with, like, no end to it. And the more she gets into it, the more she sort of even loses her goal and just sort of gets wrapped Uh up in this, like, meth-head drug ring.
2: She just has, like, a lot of ambition in her, and I love that. But it's just, uh, I can't really compare it to any other movie. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything too much like that. It's
0: got a lot of different tones. Yeah. And it's on Netflix, which is really interesting, because it got bought, like, right out of Sundance when it got, like, really good reviews. Uh and went straight to Netflix, which is kind of a strange trajectory for a movie but very like modern yeah and there's a few movies this year that like
2: there's like a shit ton on my list that are for like netflix originals yeah
0: because it's... it's the ones you can access they're like yeah they're... and they're all really good yeah there's, there's a lot of really good ones uh my number 10 also premiered on netflix uh, mm. <laughs> it's called my life as a zucchini um this was a french language uh stop motion animation film i talked about it on our episode number 29, because I went to French Film Fest this year and actually saw it in the theater uh, before it popped up on Netflix. It's written by Celine Sciamma, who wrote and directed Girlhood and Tomboy. This is a, like I said, stop-motion movie about an orphanage of kids who either were abandoned by their parents uh, or accidentally killed their parents or (laughs) um, their parents were arrested. And so they all have, like, no familial unit and they live in this little cute orphanage together and the movie does this thing where it bounces back and forth from just being kind of adorable because it's like a stop motion movie mm-hmm. and just like heart wrenchingly sad because all these kids are lonely mm-hmm. and they even say things like there's no one left to love us. They'll alternate back and forth from like having like a dance party to staring longingly at, like, a real family, quote-unquote, and sort of, like, the movie pauses with no score or anything. You just watch these kids stare at this, like, traditional family unit, and, like, you could see in their eyes that they really want it that bad. Also, like, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It's just, like, readily available. It's a good 70 minutes. Yeah. It is a little emotionally rough, but in a way that's not fake. Like, uh, there's no real villains. Like, usually in a, a kid's movie like this, the orphanage or, like, the foster system would be this, like, villainous, like, oh, these people are mean and, like, holding these kids down and stuff. But okay. really, life just sucks. Like, there's no real villains. It just, like, sucks that they're in this position and the movie's, like, pretty honest about it in a way that is very rewarding. That's and nice. it looks cool because it's stop motion.
2: What's the zucchini part?
0: Uh, the kid's is nickname called? is Zucchini and everyone makes fun of him for it.
2: Okay. Because I feel like that's, like, an unloved vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of yeah that makes sense that,
0: that's probably what it is honestly mm-hmm. but yeah everyone makes fun of it for it and because Aww. they have this like hey Arnold style animation for their heads are like super big oh cool so everyone calls him potato to piss him off instead of zucchini because he like <laughs> he prefers to be called zucchini <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a cute movie it's very short and I cried like a baby throughout
1: it um, oh, both times I saw it dude I cried a lot in the theaters this year like what mm-hmm. I don't know we're in our 30s yeah. now I think that we're just what it like, is dude? like uncontrollable
0: babies it's like, like
2: <laughs> are getting older, and they say, like, the older you get, the more you become, like, a baby? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that wasn't gonna happen until you're, like, 80, but obviously it's happening now. And then, I don't know, I just feel like we're in, like, this point in time where there's all this, like, sad shit happening in the That's world. True. That we're all just That's sad true. all the fucking time.
0: But, I mean, I, I cried twice during the Power Rangers movie. Like, I have no excuse for that. Like, <laughs> I
2: don't yeah. know. I didn't watch it, so I can't say, I can't judge you on that.
1: And actually, the... The next movie on my list, I was not expecting to cry in. And what I is did. it? Uh, my number nine is Logan. Oh yeah, I cried during that too. You know, I'm not a huge superhero buff yeah. or really into those movies, so I was I had pretty low expectations. But man, it was just gut wrenching. Wolverine's uh, dying alcoholic; he's slowly getting poisoned from the inside because oh, of the metal that's in his body. And Doctor Xavier is like has dementia, and he has. These seizures where the world just starts like having an earthquake. They uh, try to transport this girl that ends up, they find out, being his daughter to a safe haven. Or she's like his clone or something, right? Clone, like they used his D- X- DNA, DNA yeah. whatever, to create these child soldiers. And they break out and they try to get her up north to where they can be safe. And first of all, it's extremely violent. It's a rated R X Men movie. Yeah, this is it, and I think the first word in the movie is "fuck." So it's just setting it hard R from the very beginning and extreme violence. But also, it has like a heart too, like and that's what really took me back. Was like these action scenes are grisly and really fun to watch, but you're emotionally invested mm-hmm. in a way that I haven't been in a superhero movie maybe ever. It's um, weird. Like, it reminds me of
0: Terry Gilliam's Tideland more than any other film, like, aesthetically. Just, like, the way it looks and, like, how sad and strange right, and it that, feels. Like,
1: where they keep Dr. Xavier in this giant dome. Yeah, you're right. It It's done in a more artistic way than I was expecting for a Marvel movie.
2: I don't know. I haven't seen Logan, but it almost sounds, like, really hard to watch because these are, like... Superheroes that you like idolize almost, like you know, oh my God, X-Men, like at X Men, like no one can fuck with them, but then, like, they're they, fucking they dying hope, out,
1: yeah. And they God. kind of put fun at that, too. Um, so sad. The girls into like comic books or whatever, uh-huh. and Wolverine or Logan tells her, like, it's bullshit, it's all, it's all a story, none of that so, actually happened.
2: Probably why it was rated R because they didn't want kids to, like,
1: oh, uh, yeah, this is not. For well,
0: also because he their dreams. he like
1: really rips throats and shit in the movie. Like the violence Ooh. is very extreme. Oh, you just see like claws going through people's faces, just decapitating. The girl has claws on her feet, oh. so she just like kicks through like people's throats and. <laughs> also, a uh, local pro wrestler Luke
0: Hawks who owns Wildcat Sports. Uh, was a, you know, stunt man in that movie. Oh, was he? Yeah, he gets a claw to the head in, uh, I think, the hotel room scene, which is kind of interesting.
1: So, what's your number nine, Brittany? <laughs> so, my
2: number nine is Hounds of Love. It's a Australian film by Ben Young, written and directed by him. It's basically about this girl in the, like, kind of mid to late 80s walking by herself to a party. And this couple is driving along and they like eventually, um, get her to get in the car with them, bring her to the house, smoke a little pot. Then they drug her, chain her up and just like rape her a bunch. So it's kind of like, (laughs) it's very difficult to watch, but, um, it's loosely based on the Morehouse murders, um, which happened in like the 80s and the story for the morehouse murders is so similar to the plot of hounds of love and the director was like oh i didn't base it off of that i just like pulled like different true crime stories throughout the years and Hmm. made this but it's so it's just like almost a mirror image of it and the morehouse murders basically there were the bernies this um husband and wife they lured this girl in and um did the same shit to her tied her up kept her as like a prisoner and raped her a bunch and they did it as a couple. They were very like sadistic and this girl eventually escaped and the police didn't believe her story. And it got to the point where she started giving like really specific details. Like she's like, there's a Dire Straits cassette tape in their stereo. There's a copy of Rocky in the VHS player. I put these weird notes in the room I was trapped in. Like, if you go there, you're going to find the shit that I wrote in the walls. You're going to find the pills that I hid underneath, like, my bed. And they did. And they found out that they, like, within a five-week span, this couple raped and murdered four young women within, like, five weeks. And, like, they just showed them where the bodies were. So that's basically kind of what this movie is like. You know, she's trapped in this, like, house. And she keeps trying to get out. And um, the wife it kind of shows, like, how she's kind of doing it to please her husband. And then eventually, like, this is something they both do together, like, the rape and the torture. And then he starts doing it behind her back. And then she starts to, like, kind of realize, like, oh, maybe he really is a piece of shit. Which is bizarre, because she should have <laughs> realized that a long time ago. And then this the part that, like, freaked me out the most, I think, um, there's a, a puppy death. He, like, kills this dog that he got for his wife. And I think, like, all these little things start... To make her just, like, lose it. And she eventually, like, doesn't care anymore. And the ending happens. And I don't kind of... I mean, the ending isn't exactly like the Morehouse murders, but it's, like, somewhat similar. But it's just kind of, like... I love, like, films where you get into, like, the... Like, you know, people are monsters. And it kind of shows how people can be monsters. And you hear these stories all the time. And it's, like, how could somebody do that? And when you watch a movie like this, you're, like, yeah, I totally see... I know people who are assholes and I could do this shit... So it's just kind of interesting. Mm. But yeah, uh, I would I would watch it once, and I wouldn't watch it again, <laughs> but I would watch it once just to see the film, because it's very good.
0: And I think it's on Hulu, too, so it's like mm-hmm. really easy to access. Yeah,
2: it's on Hulu. So, Brandon, uh, <laughs> line it
0: up. My number light nine is not light at all. <laughs> Damn uh, it! <laughs> <laughs> I loved this movie. It's called Good Time uh, by the Safdie Brothers, uh, starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, he is this low-level criminal in New York City, and he, early in the film basically abducts his brother out of this, like, state-sanctioned psychiatry section to force him into robbing a bank with him. And his brother's mentally challenged. Uh, he, He immediately gets caught, the mentally challenged one. And then Robert Pattinson spends the rest of the film trying to break him out of jail. And he does so by stepping all over women, children, people of color just like anybody he can exploit to break his brother out of jail when his brother probably should be like in the hands of the state. Like he's not any better off with Robert Pattinson taking care of him because he forces him to do things that even he doesn't even know what he's consenting to. That sounds very grim and it is, but it is a uh, intoxicating sensory experience. Uh, It's kind of got some of the glitz and glamor of drive where it's like a highly stylized version of like a heist picture almost The synth score is provided by Onothrix Point Never, which is a really great uh, act. And just punishing synth rhythms in this film. Like, the music is oppressively loud and just, like, sweeps you up and makes you feel like you're going to choke to death on it. (laughs) Uh, And it's so fun to watch all these scenes get super tense. And you just keep waiting for this guy to get his comeuppance as he, like, exploits other people at his level. Like, he's not a privileged person, except like on the white privilege scale and he exploits that little privilege he has over everyone around him to get his brother out of the jail system. Um, it's really fucked up. There's this really long uh, short stories in the middle of it, these like tangents about other people's problems in that world. And you can see him listening to the stories only long enough to figure out how can how he can exploit them. So it's a very difficult film thematically. I've heard a lot of people say that it's actually like racist which is kind of strange because I feel like the movie is just critiquing Robert Pattinson's character over and over again throughout. And honestly, I've I've seen him in a few movies like, you know, Com- Cosmopolis and all these other things mm-hmm. post-Twilight where people have sort of, like, praised him. And I, I've always liked his performances, but I've never liked the movie this much. Like, I think this is his best film to date. Uh, if you really want to be convinced on him being a great actor, this is worth watching. Or if you just want, like, a grimy, synth-soaked, like, thriller that just, like, holds you by the neck the entire time. Like, Love that. This movie's so
1: great. Oh, man. It sounds so good. <laughs>
0: it's called Good Time.
1: Good Time on the list. <laughs> James is running it down. <laughs> uh, what was your number eight, James? Well, I feel like this is probably going to come up again, but uh, Get Out, which, you know, was on a lot of people's top ten list. I feel like everyone has seen this movie now. No need mm-hmm. to really do a synopsis. What I will say is, I watched it for a second time about a month ago, and I think I actually liked it more than when I saw it the first time. Me too. The script is what really stuck out to me. Like, the writing was better than I remember. Like, yeah. I think when I saw it the first time, it was just, like, the premise was so cool. And But really watching it the second time, knowing where it's going. Yeah, the the writing is just, like, very clever. And also, the there's certain artistic moments that, like, where he goes through the... um the sunken place? The sunken place. And mm-hmm. little moments like that that I kind of, not that I glossed over them originally, but seeing them a second time, I was like, wow, this is a more artistic movie than I think people have given it credit for. It
2: gets, like, smarter each time you watch it.
1: So, yeah, that that's, I'm assuming we might come back to it's, it. It's just outside my top ten.
0: It's my number 12 spot. But I love it. Like, it's really great. And like you said, like, watching it a second time is, like... Mm -hmm. Makes it even better because once you're sort of in on the premise, like there's all these like tiny moments that make more sense and like sort of sink in more, and no minute is wasted. Like, something is happening at each minute in the screenplay that has some sort of like either thematic significance with like systematic racism or involved in like the actual like sci fi horror plot, which eventually gets revealed to you in the third act.
1: Yeah, even watching the early scenes with just him and his girlfriend, there's like little subtle Mm -hmm. things that. I didn't pick up on before and I'm really excited to see I know Jordan Peele is gonna make some more of these like social commentary kind of horror films so I'm really excited to see what other kind of issues he tackles and brings yeah. this like really smart approach to so I yeah I love this one
0: you can tell he's a horror nerd like there's a lot of Ira Levin like Rosemary's Baby oh, type totally. stuff in here. There's a lot of uh, Wes Craven, just like visually looks like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Even The Sunken Place reminded me a lot of Under the Skin, like those like voids that she walks in when she like dissolves the men in the underwater. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that movie. It feels like watching like a fellow horror nerd like finally get their chance to like make their big opus and it really is great. Like I like, I like that movie a lot.
2: It's so weird how it's so, what happens in the movie is so ridiculous, but then like it doesn't feel like that.
0: And it's pointing out, like, a specific kind of racism that isn't usually on the screen. Like, it's not right. your normal, like, the KKK or evil no, kind of racism. it's like the
2: shit that your parents and your family says when you bring your black friend home. Right,
0: right. And I voted like, for Obama. Up. Like, that kind of
1: thing. I would yeah. have voted
0: for him a third term if I could have. Alright,
2: and then the Tiger Woods comments, like, "Oh God, God Jesus Christ, <laughs> just
0: shut up and tell them hello. <laughs> <laughs> what was your number eight, Brittany?
2: So my number eight is The Babysitter.
0: Oh, yeah. What
1: a fun movie. <laughs> that was a good one. It was
2: so much fun. So another Netflix movie. It sort of reminded me of um, Scott Pilgrim in a way to where it's it feels like you're playing a game while you're watching this movie. Everything is like neon and mega bright and vibrant. And um, there's a bunch of weird, funky little like dance scenes and stuff like that. But the whole plot of it is there's a nerdy little boy who kind of gets a little crush on his babysitter and he stays up late at night to see what she does at night. And (laughs) she's um, a Satanist and she's doing this like ritual where she um, kills this guy and takes all his blood With all her, like, other satanic, like, jockey high school friends. And it's just so stupid fun. It's very dumb, but very fun. Directed by
0: Mick G of uh, Charlie's Angels fame.
2: Yeah. Probably
0: the only movie I, like, really care for from him. Mm -hmm. Like, watching him do this, like, over-the-top, sugary, like, bubblegum pop horror is, like, a perfect fit for his, like, sort of music video aesthetic. Uh,
2: It felt like a big music video with a lot of, like, violence. Yeah.
1: And blood and explosions. What it kind of reminded me of is I so I recently got Shutter that oh cool. hell yeah yeah where it's just all these like old uh, horror movies and I've been watching some horror movies from like the 80s and yeah. that's really what this felt like mm-hmm. it was kind of a throwback to that over the top style of horror film but then kind of filtered like you were saying through this neon music video. <laughs> The sets reminded
0: me of *Cat in the Hat*, uh, the Michael Myers live-action one. Like it looks like a kid's dollhouse, which I guess like '80s horror movies all have that like sort of suburbia, like that Joe Dante like suburbs look to it, Mm -hmm. uh, the way this one does. But it still has enough like newer like. Bright colors and stuff. It looks like a Buster Rhymes music video at the same time. You it know? was, like,
2: hard to determine, like, what year. Like, at first, I'm like, is this, like, taking place in the 80s? But mm-hmm. then sometimes it doesn't look like it is. But then there's, like, wallpaper. Like, who has wallpaper in their, like, living room anymore? Right. had Like, just, it was hard to determine that. But it felt very 80s, like, like y'all were saying. Like, because the colors and the vibe and the satanic panic, you know. In the 80s, if you were different, you were just, like, a devil worshiper. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It's a fun movie, (laughs) and a lot of people were, like, super negative on it, which I don't understand. I loved it. I watched
2: it several times since it came out. Great Friday
0: night popcorn, like, movie. And it's
2: very rewatchable.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, my number eight is Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Speaking of fun party movies, Mm -hmm. speaking of movies that people hated for some reason.
1: Very polarizing. Yeah. uh,
0: One of my favorite trips to the theater this year was just (laughs) the complex reaction from the audience, where... uh, CC and I were, like, vibrating with tension watching it, especially once the third act starts, sort of ramping up and things get more and more absurd, mm-hmm. um, and the audience around us were vocally having a negative response to the same stimulus. I think probably because the movie is set outside of reality, uh, it's got kind of a Louis Benuel, um exterminating angel sort of vibe to it, where... It's this sort of absurdist horror about this house party that will not end, mm-hmm. where like, more and more people start piling into this house and sort of ruining it. And you're supposed to find that humorous, I believe, uh, in a way that people weren't willing to make the leap. Because so much of it is also this like pretentious allegory for biblical themes and environmentalist causes. And I think people are having a hard time fitting all these puzzle pieces together of like what this movie's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is it's everything and the kitchen sink, uh, which is a, a good synergy that the kitchen sink itself is part of the uh, humor of the film as well. Because there's this ridiculous scene where Jennifer Lawrence is yelling at people that her sink isn't braced yet, and they will not stop sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the big, yeah. We watched this on New Year's Eve. We had like a party at my house where people were allowed to sort of like drift in and out as we rewatched our favorite movies of the year. Uh, mostly because it was, like, freezing cold outside and there's like, no reason to go out to clubs. Uh, and it actually worked fairly well in a party environment. Um, and also, like, sort of matched my own nervousness of having people over my home. Uh, <laughs> which, oh my I, I, uh, I highly recommend at least seeing Mother to be part of the conversation, even if you hate every second of it. Yeah. One of the more fun movies to talk about this year for the various reasons that people have strong
1: reactions to it. Yeah, I think it's done in such a way like you're talking about. There's so many allegories you can project onto it. Like you say, it could be about environmentalism or about the degradation of women or whatever Like whatever you want to see into it, it's there. But then also just that surreal sense of people intruding in your house and they won't go away. It, it right. just works on so many different levels. It's going to be on my list later and we'll... I want to talk some more about it. I will say one more thing before we move
0: on. Mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer giving side-eye and being sarcastic in this film. One of the best comedic performances of the year. Yeah. Laughing. The best thing that I've ever seen her do. She's so period. good in this. Uh, I guess Catwoman would be one of her other like. Grease big ones. Two. Grease 2? Grease 2? I've never seen that. Oh
2: my god! You should maybe
0: watch that sometime.
2: Yeah, give me the pen.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, James. What was your number 7?
1: Uh, Number 7 is... A little sci-fi indie called marjorie prime yeah it was the best sci-fi or i guess hard sci-fi if you want to call it that movie this year but it's basically about this new technology that allows you to interact with a hologram version of a loved one but the hologram has to learn what the person was like and they learn that through the loved ones and so Marjorie is this woman she's dying she sort of is showing signs of Alzheimer's and dementia and her daughter and son-in-law get this hologram for her to basically keep her company. She's like alone in the house with this holographic version of her husband played by John Hamm. And it's like the idealized version so it's him when he was younger and mm-hmm. she tells him stories and tries to keep drilling into him, like, her favorite memories that they had together. And the movie has three distinct parts where different holograms of different people that pass away mm-hmm. in the movie. And it's a really, really sad, poignant statement on, like, identity and how we form memories and how, how our perceptions can shift over time and how the stories, like, we tell ourselves about our lives and how we give our lives meaning... So it's just delving into all these really interesting things, and it's and it's shot in this like beautiful sort of serene beachfront. Yeah, it's house. like an open like oh. circular
0: home almost, where there's like, just light coming in from all directions.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot. The soundtrack is a lot of it is just the waves crashing, so it has this like serene feel to it, and it it definitely feels like a play. I think it it was, it a, was play. a play, right? Oh. So it it's got that very literary style and the the dialogue. A lot of monologues and stuff like that but it's just a beautiful little film i really uh so it really nice. moved me and, and like being a play
0: it is told in like three acts like you said uh who is the artificial intelligence like switches uh each like round where mm-hmm. like there's a new person sort of coming to peace with some change in the household um and i like the aspect that there's no star of the film tim robbins gina davis lois smith all get their time
1: to talk. Oh, and Gina
2: it, Davis is in
0: here. Yeah, she's
1: really Holy good. Shit, it, it's one of the best things I've thing seen uh, in a long time. Her and Tim Robbins are not my f- like favorite actors, but yeah. this is one of the best things I've seen both of them.
2: Oh, cool. And
1: and it's
0: all dialogue, so like there's a lot for them to do, which is interesting. Like it's all talky philosophical style sci-fi. It's it's kind of like an actor showcase in that way. Like you have to kind of rest on the words and the ideas more than, like, most filmmaking styles.
1: Yeah, and it sort of felt like um, a more heartwarming uh, Black Mirror kind of episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the technology itself is really interesting and plausible. And seeing how the characters have opinions about it, like, they're freaked out at first, but when then when they go through trauma and they lose someone, they want a chance to talk to them or have them around. So it really is a moving little picture and I think it's on Amazon Prime, yeah. so you should definitely check it so, out. So
2: just to like let you guys know this spiel. So I didn't watch it because I thought it was like another type of Amazon Prime because it was advertised on Amazon Prime.
1: <laughs> oh <right>. yeah yeah. <laughs> I didn't
2: know it was a movie Like just, an add
0: on or something? Yeah,
2: like oh the Marjorie Prime. Like that's where you could get other stuff. <laughs> So then I found that it was a movie and it sounds cool, so I'll watch it later now that I know it's not some fucking shopping thing. Uh,
0: that was actually Boomer's <laughs> number three for the year. Right. So it was really high on his list as well. What was your number, what were we at, seven?
2: Our yeah. first overlap right here, it was Mother! Yeah, Mother! Um... <laughs> mother! <laughs> mother! What I liked most about it was that you didn't have to think too much. How it was kind of a relaxing watch because, and that's what what most people were like really butthurt hurt about was, oh like the metaphor was so obvious and I blah blah, blah whatever like I like that that I understood yeah. what was going on. I didn't have to like be too inquisitive about it. Like oh cool, I can just watch it and it made it funny for me. It yeah. made me it was super funny.
0: I don't think need things to be subtle. That's no, that, I don't need to like crack a puzzle to enjoy a movie. Like right. also people always say that the metaphor is obvious. And then everyone has, like, a different interpretation of what the metaphor even is. Right. Which is, like, extra silly. Yeah, the the (laughs) number of complaints and the variation of complaints about this movie are, like, ridiculous to me.
2: Right. Like, I didn't, like, I I get the biblical part of it and the environmental part. I just thought it was entertaining because, like, what I connected with the most was the fact that, like, people are in your house and they're not fucking listening to you. And that must suck so much. And, like, I would lose my mind. So that made me so nervous the whole time. Where I'm like, could you imagine, like, owning something? And then you tell someone, like, can you leave? And they're like, no. And you're like, this is my house. But then, do we really own our houses? Who says that? Money says it. And then I just kept, like, going in this, like, black hole of thinking. And it just made no sense whatsoever. But it was entertaining, like... The confusion of it. Like, it's obvious that there's, like, this sort of cult vibe to it, which I love. Love anything dealing with cults. And the way that the ending just gets, like, puked out all of a sudden, where it's like, you know, there's this build-up, this build-up, and then it's like, fuck. Like, this is what the whole thing means. It was pretty entertaining. I <laughs> wish I could have saw it in theaters to see the reaction of the people. That, like, the part that, like, made it so controversial.
0: Oh, yeah, there's a pretty gross, like horror moment in the movie which i found both uh, funny and terrifying <laughs> it was
2: funny about how stupid it
1: was uh, yeah.
2: but still spooky
1: yeah um, i i love that part <laughs> me too I, so i watched this on christmas with my <laughs> wow. mother oh. thematically appropriate yeah. mother mother yeah it was and she she was totally on board she loved it up until right that and she was like no they can't. And I was like, well, they, can they do did whatever wrong. they want. Yeah. yeah. And when I, was, I was telling them, I was like, well, you know, with this allegory, however you want to take it, yeah. like, that's kind of a logical thing to mm-hmm. happen in terms of this allegory. So that that ending did not bother me. I would have been more bothered if, if that didn't happen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If it if kind of like pulled back and like didn't go there. Right. It's right. a movie that has to like dial to 11 the whole time for it yeah. to like feel fully committed. Uh, Which, I I think one of my favorite things about this movie is that it's a major studio release. Like, it's from Paramount Pictures, and it's a film that does not pull punches in a way that major studio movies do. I'm going to go ahead and guess that maybe besides Logan, it'll be, like, one of the only, like, major studio movies we even talk about today. Uh, Because it is, like, one of the few that actually goes to that extreme place. It doesn't chicken out.
2: I love the way that, like, the advertisement was for this film like I listen to a lot of podcasts and it was a podcast like ad like where they would get um, whoever's doing it to sort of be like don't forget to watch Mother in theaters, and you know whatever date it was released. The most controversial movie of the year, like the film was branding itself as that before it was even released.
0: Yeah, it was like a, um, almost like a Grindhouse, like seventies, like <laughs> yeah. almost like Texas Chainsaw Massacre right. or something, right? Yeah.
2: So that already got me on board. I was like, Ooh, Mother, I'm gonna see this. And then like the movie poster had like Jennifer Lawrence with like this little heart in her hands. <laughs> Like got Oregon Heart. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, great poster. Beautiful poster. Would love to own it one day.
0: And my number seven for the year was Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. One of the only ones I haven't been able to watch twice because it's still in the theater. So this is probably the most recent film I've watched that's going to be on my list. Uh, it's a fairy tale, which whenever he's working in fairy tale mode, I'm always on board with this stuff. Uh, this is a sort of reimagining of the Creature from the Black Lagoon. But the way that he reworks it is that um, it's a love story instead of, like, a horror film. The creature falls in love with a human woman, and instead of it being this horrific thing, uh, he rearranges the power dynamics so that they are both uh, marginalized people. Uh, It's a film where, like, race, uh, homophobia, militarism, physical disability all factor into these people who are sort of, like, on the outskirts Uh, And the monster is made to be like a sympathetic character on their side uh, versus like the big bad government represented by Michael Shannon, who plays this like over the top villain who is literally festering through the movie where they're like a vibrant, lively crew of people, like, fighting the big bad in this, like, David versus Goliath scenario. He is literally rotting physically as he tries to shut them down and kill this creature just for existing, because he finds its very existence to be, like, an affront to God. And at the same time, it's an old-fashioned, old Hollywood-style romance with a lot of allusions to old Hollywood. There's even, like, a sort of Fred and Ginger-style dance sequence in the middle of the film, which is really cute. And there's, like, uh, interspecies fish-fucking in the movie. The uh, yeah. fish man and the human woman actually have sex. Uh, not on screen, unfortunately, but it is, like, part of the scenario. So it's, like, a film that will lean into the weirder aspects of the genre conventions, but mixes it with this, like, traditionalist, old Hollywood-style storytelling, and also has, like, a political point about how we used to watch these old movies where the government is the hero trying to shut down these, like, outsider monsters. Mm-hmm. But really, it makes more sense that the outsiders would be, like, who our sympathies are with. It doesn't make any sense for us to want them to be shut down. Have you all seen that yet?
2: I haven't, but... Is it still in theater?
0: It's still playing abroad right now.
2: Yeah, I would love to see it. Especially, like, the whole, like, fish sex thing. Like, is that a thing? Like, you know there's furries? Are mm-hmm. there, like, fishies?
0: I will say... Like, people
2: who are obsessed with, like, that?
0: There are... Probably four movies I can name that came out this year. Me too. With like reptilian, fishy style Where fucking. is this coming from? I don't know. I haven't seen anything <laughs> like that
2: before. And like, it's just, it's all, it's here now, like... I don't know where it's heading or what's going on
0: with it. It's in our collective uh, subconscious, whatever's going on there. Oh, my God.
2: Maybe because we were, we, that's how we came.
0: (laughs) You sold me a fish fucking and Michael Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) He is a terror in this film. If you, like, want to watch one of those old-fashioned Michael Shannon performances where he's, like, over-the-top villain, Mm -hmm. uh, he is so gross in this movie. I love
1: it. I love him so much. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, we'd
2: love to see it.
1: Well, James, do you want to count down your bottom five? So, ten was We Are the Flesh, then uh, Logan, Get Out, Marjorie Prime, and then my number six, which is technically a series, but it was theatrically released. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a documentary by Errol Morris called Wormwood. And Errol Morris is pretty much the number one documentary filmmaker of all time. He did, like, Thin Blue Line, fog of war all these like classic documentaries and this one's about a man that works for the government that gets dosed with like lsd against his will and then a few days later ends up jumping out of a window and the government tries to cover it up and it takes decades and decades of his family digging into what happened to finally understand the truth about what happened to their father but it's done in a really unique style where i'd say about 60 to 70% of it is interviewing the son and, like, talking about his journey to figure out what happened to his dad and his, like, obsession.
2: He was the one kind of, like, leading this whole investigation. Yeah. Right? Like, his mom was just kind of like, well, it happened. Right? right? His mom
1: kind of accepts the government's right. version of events, but I the son's way more skeptical and he keeps digging. And as it goes on, you sort of realize, like, as much as it's about the actual facts of the case, mm-hmm. it's really about his obsession and not being able to get on with his own life because he's so wrapped up in what happened to his father. Right. Uh, And he does eventually get the answers. But what I found really exhilarating with this, it's done in a collage sort of style. So you'll have the interview with the son juxtaposed with like a fictionalized version Of what happened. Yeah,
2: there's like a
1: good bit of like reenactments. Yeah, so you you, you have the reenactments and he's doing voiceovers of the reenactment. But then you also have parts where they splice in newsreel footage uh, or old family pictures. Uh And all this is happening at the same time. And the son actually went to Harvard and he got his PhD. His dissertation was on collages. So it's sort of like his style Mm. taking in a film making direction, and the music is great, and it's definitely the best documentary I saw this year.
0: Nice. Um, you're saying there's two versions of the film too, right? Like there's one that played in theaters that was like streamlined, and then there's like a longer version.
1: Yeah, the longer version is a miniseries that's on Netflix now, okay. uh, it's like six episodes, about forty minutes a piece. I think the theatrical cut they got it down to around four hours. I, I mean, I watched it on Netflix, I didn't see it in the theaters, but it really is, yeah, it's the best documentary I saw, and it's, I think, Errol Morris's kind of, I don't want to say swan song, but it's one of his best work, which is saying a lot, because yeah. he's done some classic documentaries, and this definitely ranks up there. I remember watching
0: Thin Blue Line and feeling like he would invented all of the like reality TV we had watched as a kid. Like, maybe without the Philip Glass score, but like all the reenactments and the style of like talking
1: head interviews in that movie felt like 90s like reality. End song mysteries. Yeah, that kind of stuff. You see? Sure. And that is totally true. And I think what I really appreciate about this, it, it feels like he's trying to push documentaries into the next generation.
0: So, could you count down your bottom five for us?
2: Yes. Um, so, number 10, I don't feel at home in this world anymore.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's a long title.
1: <laughs>
2: number nine, Hounds of Love, which is also my favorite Kate Bush album title. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then number eight, um, The Babysitter. And number seven, Mother. And number six, The Lure.
0: Oh, The Lure. The
2: Lure. Which I would not have watched at all, but I did go to Brandon's like movie um, extravaganza and I was able to catch it there. Oh my god, I have never seen anything like this movie before. I can't compare it to anything, even if I tried. But it's like a very glitzy, you know, glamour pageant horror movie about two mermaid sisters that make it to land and they get in with this like cheese ball what kind of band
0: like a it? disco like a new wave band yeah just
2: kind of like they play at bars and stuff like yeah. that
0: and they play at like a strip club and it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like eastern Bloc poland so it's like very early right. 80s so it's that weird european transition from disco to new wave so it's somewhere between those two right clubs, it's yeah. like
2: disco punk new wave just all nobody knows a direction to go in but yeah, so they become part of this like musical act and one of the sisters um, really wants to get her legs.
0: Because <laughs> it's kind of like a retelling of The Little Mermaid yeah, in a loose way. Yeah, it is.
2: Yeah. And, but it's like, it's also, did I mention it was a musical? Yeah. Musical. Yeah. Some of the coolest music in a musical. I have, I don't know how to speak or comprehend anything in Polish, but the music is beautiful. I don't know what like most of the lyrics mean yet. But they're, it's really cool, and it's, like, really synth-heavy, but, like, not to the point where it's, like, obnoxious. It's really, like, very new wave. Um, and it's
0: not the kind of musical where there's only, like, two songs, and they just call it a musical. No. Like, there's a lot of song breaks, and they advance the plot in the song, so it's, like, a traditional mm-hmm. musical in that way.
2: Like, there's one musical number where they're in, like, a shopping center, and it's probably my favorite, and mm-hmm. they're, like, being pushed in buggies, the Little Mermaid sisters. Um, Golden and Silver are their names. <laughs> Like, I know we talked about um, fish sex earlier. Yep. But they have, like, their vaginas are in their tails. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So. And they don't have, like, cute little mermaid tails. They have these really long, like, fish 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 tails yeah. like it's, like it looks like a trout. It's not sexy. No. And apparently it reeks too. Like people can smell them from like They're like, "Oh, what is that away. smell?
2: Oh, it's the fish girls." And then like <laughs> whenever they have their like it's like they don't have permanent legs. They have like semi-permanent legs and they don't have like any holes and they show you yeah, that they don't It's like bar- don't, Barbie dolls. It's like Barbie dolls, yeah. And then like when they get water then they grow these like big eel like trout tails. Yeah, it's kind of like a the Little Mermaid in a way where there's a woman who kind of talks about like losing your voice and she's very like Ursula, like she's smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. and she, I don't know, she was like cool as fuck, but she reminded me of like the Ursula character, but that's basically what happens. Is... And like King
0: Triton is this like punk singer.
2: Yes. And he's, <laughs> he got like fish hooks in his head. So yeah. his head has like two big badass gashes <laughs> in it from where he pulled out these hooks.
1: <laughs> um,
2: it, it's everything it's so weird like there were some parts where I'm like why are they smiling for this and at first they seem kind of both evil because they're so like unsensitive to a lot of situations and then I'm just like when are they going to eat somebody um, why are these people putting their dicks in their these girls <laughs> tail vaginas um, it's it just kind of a, and there's like a weird like breastfeeding scene where like the, the lead um, singer of this band is an older woman not, like, old, but, like, maybe in her, like, late 40s. And she fantasizes about being their mermother. So there's, like, this, like, weird dream kind of sequence While she she's has. having
0: sex with her husband. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She's, like, yeah, so who has a rat tail? He has a rat tail. Yeah,
1: it's just true.
2: And he's in the band, too. Um, but she's, like, breastfeeding both of, like, golden and silver. And she's just, like, looking so happy. And she has her big, nasty fish tail. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I love this movie so it's much. It's cool.
2: It's very cool.
0: And Very it's cool. It's had a weird trajectory of release too where like it first came out I think late, late December twenty fifteen in Poland. It had a long distribution path to America. Early twenty seventeen I saw it at Broad and only played for like one week before it disappeared. And then it like a few months later it got picked up by Criterion. So it's already on Blu ray. Nice. Uh wow. and the Blu ray looks fucking gorgeous. Like the colours are That's so. That's what we watched it yeah. on. It was
2: really yeah. It's So, so vibrant. Cool. Yeah. It's a Beautiful movie. Yeah, we'll definitely
0: be talking about that again later because I'm over the moon for that movie. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna
2: stop talking about it right now. Brandon, (laughs) what's your what's your deal with your six? Uh
0: my bottom five, number ten was my life as a zucchini, talking about longer titles. (laughs) Number nine was Good Time, and then Mother, and then The Shape of Water. And my number six is brigsby Bear, written by Kyle Mooney of SNL. Uh, James referenced Room earlier, uh, it's kind of a bastardization of that, where this kid is raised in captivity from the age of, like, 8 till, let's say, 32, and his only contact with the outside world is this TV show called The Brigsby Bear Adventures, which is made by his father, played by Mark Hamill of Star Wars fame. He makes a fake television show about an animatronic bear, kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese kind of character. The bear teaches him, when he's a kid, like, simple math problems and, like, not to trust anyone outside their familial unit and the fact that everything outside of their bunker is toxic uh, and all these other kinds of lies that keep him in check. And as the story goes along, Briggsby Bear Adventures gets more and more complex and has this like really long mythology to the point where there's, I think, 800 episodes that only he has seen. And he believes that everyone in the world only has this one TV show. It's the only media he's like ever been associated with. Very early in the film, he gets removed from this bunker situation and introduced to the wild world again, and has to deal with the fact that Brigsby Bear Adventures is no more, and doesn't know what to do with his life after that point. Oh my god! (laughs) Uh, And as a sort of version of self therapy, while his family is trying to like reintroduce him into like a larger version of the universe, he decides to finish the Brigsby Bear Adventures with one final movie. So. The film is about, like, awkwardness and not knowing how to communicate with the world outside yourself and sort of, like, insular obsessions, which is something we would all know about. But also about, like, the joy of filmmaking and, like, him completing the Briggsby Bear adventures for his own sake and uh, passionately finishing this project that initially only he cares about, but through his passion and through his, like just sort of, like, awkward sort of charm, mm-hmm. he, like, brings other people into the Brigsby Bear session. And by the end, it's this really celebratory, like, everyone fucking loves Brigsby Bear. Honestly, you want to talk mm-hmm. about movies that, like, you didn't expect to cry during, I cried at the end of this movie. Just from the the sh- sheer joy of watching this man complete his, like, passion project. Uh, which is something that you wouldn't <laughs> really expect with, like, this Tim and Eric, like, awkward kind of
1: humor. I love it. It's great. You describe me, it kind of reminds me of Frank. Yeah. A little bit. And also, I love Kyle... Like he's, yeah, he's one of the funniest, if not the funniest person on SNL. So it's kind of has like a bittersweet, very dark not, humor about abuse, but not, <laughs> not really like God.
0: it's not like Hounds of Love. Like he's not captive and like being like tortured. He's just captive. Well,
2: thank God.
0: Uh, it's it's more like Room. Like uh, you know the kid. Uh, Jacob Tremblay's character sort of invents all these, like, uh... Yeah, it's, it has to, like, create a world. And yeah, it's, like, like, sad that, like...
2: and sweet at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but
0: this one leans more heavily into, like, Tim and Eric-style humor, especially with the Bringsby Bear adventures. Like, the clips from the TV show are, like, very strange, like, 80s ephemera with, like, the, the VHS warp. Yeah, I, I highly recommend this movie. It's a lot more heartfelt than it might sound like. When you hear, like, Cal Mooney made a comedy and it's produced by the Lonely Island... You wouldn't think it would be as sincere and like heartfelt Aww. as this film is. It's it, it can be a little emotionally cruel, I guess, but it's also just like a very like earnest mix of tones. There's a lot going on. It's a lot more complex than it might look from the outside.
2: So you're gonna say it's a lot like earnest, scared, stupid.
0: <laughs> no, it's a lot something. like earnest, scared, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I highly <recommend> it. <laughs> I'm cured. It worked.
2: bro. you are not scared of this, man? Look, they could've made you do all types of stupid shit. They'd have you fucking barking like a dog, flying around
0: like you a fucking pigeon, looking ridiculous, okay? Or, I don't know if you know this, white people love making people sex slaves and shit.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not a kinky sex family, dog. Look, Jeffrey Dahmer was eating the shit out of niggas' heads, okay? But that was after he fucked the heads. Do you think they saw that shit coming? Hell no, okay?
0: And now we're getting to everyone's top fives for the year, so this is the real gritty stuff. It's uh, about to get good. <laughs> we're about to,
2: like, reveal a lot about ourselves, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: I think when we it, already did a lot of, like, really dark shit earlier, so maybe we can lighten it up a little bit. Uh- oh, no. no. <laughs> maybe. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. Do you want me to start things off? Yeah. My number five is Split. Woo! Uh, the M. Night Shyamalan returning to form, dude. Like, he hit a bad period there for a few movies. I, I really love M. Night Shyamalan. Like, uh-huh. his early movies, um, Unbreakable, Signs, uh-huh. even The Village, I'm a fan of. Yeah, The Village is great. His earlier films, they're basically, like, kind of B-movies that were dressed up in this way to be presented as, like, very artsy. And But in Split, he kind of he kind of accepts that he's that kind of filmmaker. Right. And just makes a balls-to-the-wall ridiculous, kind of Polanski-esque, or, like, even I got Brian De Palma vibes mm, yeah. from it. Got kind of, like, psychological horror. Really intense camera work as well. Like, the cinematography is really gorgeous.
0: Which, like, the trashy multiple personalities premise probably doesn't even deserve, like,
1: how beautiful the movie looks. Oh, I lo- but I love James McAvoy, like... Oh, yeah, so he's great. He's my, probably my favorite actor. He takes over this movie. I yeah. mean, he's playing, like, tw- what, 20... It's there's prefer- like five, but yeah, there's like twenty four total or something. Yeah, we only yeah. see five. Yeah. He kills it. He is such a good actor, and this was maybe the most fun I had watching mm-hmm. anything this year. I, I I loved so much about it and even the end that kind of tries to wrap <laughs> things up into like a, kind of like a Marvel a larger universe. Story. Yeah. yeah, like tying in some of his older or one of his older films. I even loved that. And I want, I want a sequel oh. of... Oh, it's it's on its way. Really? Yeah, it it's already in production, yeah. I want it. Uh, with Anya so Taylor-Joy
0: from The Witch is coming back for that one as well. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Well,
0: um, gotta say, I've never really been a fan of his. And this movie convinced me I'm dead wrong, and I need to go back and watch all his older films. I think it is a gorgeous work of like trash filmmaking, which is my vibe, and I totally loved it. It's the yeah. earliest... Film of the year that's on my like larger list for sure. Like it's been sitting with me all year, and I keep hearing people sort of shoot it down for various reasons, mm-hmm. which made me sort of like worry. Like, did I just have too much fun in the theater, and I'm kind
1: of like excusing no, its faults? There's a lot
2: of snobs out there. Yeah, yeah, ignore them.
1: <laughs> right? It's like they they wanted him. to They him do... to
2: fail. They want to make fun of him, and it's like, no, oh, he did something fucking good. Just admit it. I like <laughs> that
1: he's kind of given up the pretense of being. Not that he's not a serious filmmaker, but. He's definitely, I think he's realized what he does well, and this was, like, quintessential M. Night Shyamalan, and everything I like Mm -hmm. about him as a filmmaker, and super fun movie. I I called it Brilliantly Stupid when I reviewed it. Um, Oh, (laughs) that is perfect. Yeah, it's got all this pseudoscience about the multiple personalities and how your biology can change depending on what personality. I don't know if any of that's true. I
2: don't
1: know. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's schlocky, like...
2: Well, it made me freak out because I'm like, what if that happens? Like, what if you wake up tomorrow and that happens to you? And like, no one believes it. And then there's that one therapist, like, in the movie that you're going to need.
0: I I know. It's, like, easier for me to excuse it here than, like, in uh, United States of Terra. Where, like, that...
2: I love that. I love that show, too. Yeah.
0: But this is, like, more... Like, I don't need it to make sense. Um, Right. Right. (laughs) Where, like, that show felt like it was more like, oh, this is what DID is like.
2: For families. Yeah.
0: I don't feel like this movie's doing that. It's more, like, science fiction. But I
2: feel like D.I.D. is so mysterious. Like, there's, like, what, five people that have had it or something like that? Like, it's not common whatsoever. So it's still... We still don't understand it completely.
1: Yeah, and the stuff with, the like, the psychologist, like, that seemed very, like, something you would see from a thriller from the 70s. The doctor is yeah. trying to help the patient, and they get in too deep. And, yeah. Yeah, it just re- reminded me a lot of this old schlocky kind of thriller. Or just like the
0: ending of Psycho, where they like sit around and discuss like the psychological implications of his uh, multiple personality disorder for like two minutes for the audience. It's that except extended throughout the whole film and paired with these other two stories, like one, a captivity story and this other one, James McAvoy, like chewing scenery as all these different characters. Um, It it reminded me of Raising Cain. Oh to yeah, oh, John Lithgow. Uh, it was it, it was very similar that. in <laughs>
1: tone. Very similar in tone. You're to right. That movie. You're
0: so right. Uh, also, just like you were saying earlier, like in that like, Shyamalan, like admitting that he's having fun. His like cameo in this movie
1: is just a guy who likes scooters, hot wings. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was such a bizarre. <laughs> that scene was so weird. This psychologist goes in this long <laughs> rambling explanation of Hooters, like some philosophical. Mm-hmm tree seed on Hooters and, right. and Night Shyamalan just sitting there. and it's like, you, But their wings are delicious.
0: Like <laughs> like those what? Are like, everyone
2: says that.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's obviously having fun uh, in that scene and like in the movie at large, even though like yeah. there are some really gross deep schlock themes in the film as well. like sexual abuse and like, he's mm-hmm. like teen girls in captivity and like, a lot of people are going to bristle at the way, like, mental illness is portrayed in the film, which yeah. is, like, common to horror at large. Like, anytime a crazed killer runs around, like, that's sort of, like, making, like, you know, psychologically disturbed people have to be these, like, things to be feared. Right. Uh, where
2: it's not the case whatsoever. Right.
0: And I think he's just, like, co- sort of leaning into the trappings of the genre that made people uncomfortable. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's super fun, and One of the better trips to the theater all year, even though it was, like, so long ago.
2: What's so funny to me is, like, girls are, like, just starting to realize, like, from that movie, they're like, oh, he's kind of hot. And, like, oh, like, he's so thick and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, like, okay, like, he's been like that. Like, I don't understand. Like, this, this weird-ass movie made him, like, a hearthrob in a weird
1: way. Yeah.
2: Where I'm, like, um, you know, like, Penelope should have done that. <laughs> or, like, um, wanted. But it didn't. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, like, oh, yeah.
1: I don't know. I th- when and then he, now people are, like, oh,
2: yeah. When God. he
1: does his, like, final transformation into oh, the yeah. Beast, that's some scary... Shit, dude. But His that muscles don't make people. any sense. Like, the just, people were into yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I love how it, it's like a super, or an, I guess an anti-hero or super villain origin mm-hmm. story, essentially. Because yeah, he right. does physically transform into a monster. And I love that it took it there. And
2: he lives under a zoo.
1: And he does, yeah. that's <laughs> How adorable. So, so. And I will say that, like, uh, the themes
0: of abuse are not pure shock value even though uh-huh. you would kind of expect them to be uh, they are thematically sort of like linked to the larger story and i think the movie does take that stuff more seriously than some people are giving it credit for
1: and i, I there's a specific scene where the main character we kind of learn her past trauma that scene is one of the most unsettling scenes i think M. Night Shyamalan has uh, ever done yeah. is where that she's the, in the woods with her, uncle? with her uncle oh
2: fuck yeah that
1: was really uncomfortable And now I'm
2: remembering all that I totally forgot and just that.
1: getting to see Anya Taylor-Joy
0: on the screen again like outside of the context of the witch is great like her yeah. eyes are so emotive and like she's such a great young talent like I want to yeah. see more films from her Brittany what was your number five
2: my number five was Okja
1: yes cool <laughs>
2: I think this, out of every movie I've watched this year, from, like, movies that came out this year and haven't, I think I cried the most for this one. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because Okja kind of looks like my dog. Like, my dog's, like, this, like, chunky little, like, play doh gray blob, like Okja. And I watched it with her, so it was kind of like, you know, she actually barked for half of it, so I had to, like, rewatch it again because <laughs> she kept wanting to, like, chase Okja. And I guess it's, like, common in, like, Would this be like, this isn't a Japanese film, No, it's uh, a South Korean. Korean, but it's very like, the plot's so scattered. Like, Mm -hmm. there's weird humor, and during scenes where it's super sad or super violent things are happening, but it's all over the place. Remind me of like a
0: more adult version of George Miller's Babe Two Pig in the City.
2: Yeah. Where you go on this
0: like huge adventure. But it's kind of like a kid's film, but it's also, like, super dark and, like, twists the, like, torturous emotional screws in this, like... Right. I stopped eating pork and beef soon after watching this film. You too?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, I don't know if that's what it was supposed to do, but it fucking worked. Um, But basically, Okja is a super pig, and what happened is there's this big meat-producing company that's trying to... You know, the world at this point is kind of, like, semi-overpopulated, but, like, not like, um, end-of-the-world overpopulation. So these super pigs, there's 26 of them, and this industry puts them in, like, 26 different places around the world. And 10 years later, they measure to be which one is the best super pig. And Okja is one of those. And he lives in South Korea, like, free range in the mountains. And he is insanely close with this little girl, um, Mija, and she loves him so much. And, like, this thing is probably the size of, like, the biggest elephant ever. And it snuggles with her, like, when they go to sleep. And she, like, brushes his teeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, takes care of him. They go on these little adventures. And it's really sweet. And her grandfather is this, you know, he's the one that was given the super pig as part of this, like, contest. And then Oak wins. And it's taken away in New York City behind this little girl's back.
0: Shirt. To be made into meat. To be
2: made into meat. Mm. And oh my <laughs> god. And it's so, you get so connected to this, like, super pig. Those, you know, they're not real. This is a CGI animated creature. But it has so much emotion. Like, there's points where Okja cries and there's, like, tears coming out you love okja so much and then okja goes to this big like grand pig fucking parade in new york city and this little girl like literally chases him there and she's met by the animal liberation front mm-hmm. and they're trying to scheme way to they want to save okja of course and they want but they want to use okja to get a video of what actually happens to these like um, non-GMO unharmed, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, they're trying to be like, oh, they're free range, like, blah, blah, and like, they want to get into this factory to show the abuse that happens to these super pigs, so they use Okja, and there's like this scene where there's this like, giant male super pig that's in there, and he's like, beaten and fucking prodded and shit, he's all fucked up, and then he like, mates with Okja, and- It's a rape scene. It's so, yeah, it's a rape scene between two CGI super pigs, and it is so- Fucking sad where I'm like, oh my god, like I had to fast forward it. Yeah. I couldn't it's sit rough. through it. And, and the, like it's so sad because they were like, shit, this shouldn't have happened to her, like they shouldn't have used this pig. So it's kind of like it doesn't make Alf or the Animal Liberation Front, like, seem like the heroes, almost. Yeah, I think more interesting. you
0: talking, talking about stopping eating meat because of the movie. I don't think the movie like movie makes fun of both sides of it. Like right. the, it's a really harsh satire against like the evils of the meat industry but it also makes fun of like environmentalist type people like one
2: guy like hasn't he doesn't eat anything because he thinks it causes harm so he's like dying basically he's trying to limit his
0: like carbon footprint on the world yeah like they're like
2: eat a tomato and he's like no no and he like eventually passes out but yeah so it's it's kind of and i think that's like a an internal struggle that i always had where it's like you know especially when you become an owner of an animal you get to see a different side of everything. But at the same time, it's like, where do you stop? You know? Yeah. And then there's this scene at the end where they're all just like, all the super pigs are lined up to be slaughtered. Yeah. And it's like a semi-happy ending. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, it's you're glad for what happens, but it's still fucking
0: sad. <laughs> this one was another one that's just outside my top ten. Uh, mm-hmm. This one, uh, Split and Get Out are like, just outside. But I really... I'm impressed by how audacious it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another movie released by Netflix. Yeah. Uh, didn't really play in many theaters. Didn't play in New Orleans at all in the theater. Yeah. This is a follow-up to Snowpiercer from Bong Joon-ho. Um, but when we first premiered as a website, one of our first posts was our best films of 2014, I believe. For yeah,
2: 2014. Me.
0: Yeah, and uh, Snowpiercer was a number one movie of the year. Totally. I think this one's just as, like, over-the-top, absurd. Like you kind of said, like, tonally all over the place. Like, it's parts of comedy, parts like, a horror film, parts... Yeah. Like but it's, an action adventure. There's a
2: lot of funny farts and like yeah. poop scenes in mm-hmm. it, where like Oja farts, and I don't know. I'll always laugh at a fart, and then he like poops out these like little balls, <laughs> and it's like a ping pong shooter.
1: Is it like Snowpiercer in the sense that it's kind of a message film yeah. but that's not really the driving point? Like Snow Snowpiercer definitely had a pol- political. About like climate change, yeah, yeah, or just about like class uh, the rich. struggle yeah. and and that the way y'all are describing it, this seems kind of like a message film about mm. animal rights and. Honestly, I think it's even less about animal rights
0: and just about corporate culture and
2: processed food,
0: Process, and like yeah. that. Well, that's definitely a large part of it, but I think like the main thesis of the movie is when corporations and this does happen with food a lot, um, when corporations try to put on a nice face but still do the same evil shit. Like, uh... Tilda Swinton is playing two sisters, and one is this, like, sort of, like, evil hard-ass, and the other is this sweet, kind... With braces. With braces. Like, she's, like, this, like, innocent version of the same character. Yeah. And it's, like, corporations trying to be your friend and put this, like... Smiley, like... While still doing the same it shit did, they always do. It's the same do. evil. It just has, like, right. a different spin on it.
2: Like, the whole thing, like, if you buy your meat from Whole Foods, the animal went through the same shit right. as the an- the meat from Rouse's. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, that's a huge thing where it's, like, non-GMO, gluten-free, organic. They slap the label on and we're like, oh, this is awesome. And but then in reality, it's like, okay, it, like... But
1: the end is still the animal was still killed. Right, I right. Mean, no matter how you raised it. And
2: And that's really what this kind of points out, because they are like, oh it's non GMO, it's non GMO, even though it was really a genetically modified it's a super pig. They pretended to find it.
1: Well th- and that does
0: have like a real world implication too, because we yeah. have corporations like Wendy's and Arby's and stuff mm-hmm. have these like cutesy social media presences where they like try to tap into memes and like cool kid culture and like Wendy's is pretty good. They okay. have a good Twitter. They're sure. Funny, but Sure, it's entertaining, but it's not any better than like yeah. McDonald's or anything. But right? well,
2: McDonald's started using grandmas with their <laughs> buttermilk tenders.
0: Well, I mean, basically, I'm just saying that they're putting like a cute face on the same yeah, shit. Exactly, yeah. and yeah.
2: it's right, and it just kind of shows how gullible we are to where we're we'll, we, we're too lazy yeah. to do the research, and we'll just I mean, buy something based on the ad.
1: As being like a former vegetarian for a couple of years, I mean, mm-hmm. this movie definitely, I definitely need to check this out because oh, everything you're saying is sort of my thoughts on it too. Is like you can label it whatever you want. At the end of the day, you're killing a sentient being that mm-hmm. like has, like a pig has feelings. Right. It has memories and to do that is a kind of unethical no matter how you try to spin it. Especially
0: in the industrial version of killing something where you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, you're not hunting it. And we are basically creating more meat than we could possibly ever need. Right. And it's in this, like, systematic uh, assembly line version of, like, food production where, like, it's just, like, gluttonous and, like, cruel. Like, the the conditions right are cruel. Crueler than they need to be just so we always have it available. But at the same time, we're talking about this movie like it's a like YouTube uh, like documentary of video, or right? Something. It's not like that at all. It's this really fun, rollicking. It worked better cartoon. for me than
2: any Peter video. Oh, totally. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Oh, I love Ojja. I wonder if they're going to come out with like stuffed animals and toys. <laughs> I would love all of them. It
0: would be good marketing. Okay,
2: uh, well, what's your number five?
0: Uh, my number five is also an Asian film. It's called yes. Your Name. It's an anime film, oh. animated feature from Japan. And also the top grossing film in Japan of all time. It is a body swap comedy. These teens, one is a boy in the city and the other is a girl in the country. And they start swapping bodies randomly for reasons they can't explain. Uh, and, you know, they wake up in the morning and do something you would assume a teen would do if they were in someone else's body. They start touching their breasts and dicks and shit. Um, <laughs> so there's like a little like sexual humor there. And... You know, 80s body swap comedies would usually stop around that sort of comedy. Like, it's like, oh, my body's weird. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go to work or school. It pushes through past that to get to this sort of, like, mind-blowing, psychedelic, sci-fi story involving, like, a comet that's passing by and creating all these problems in the cosmos. Uh, There's themes of, like, ghosts and ancestors and time travel and all kinds of really strange philosophical destinations you would not assume it would start with. When I was trying to come up with a good metaphor for the narrative trajectory, I think it works kind of like Persona in reverse, where you have these two people are starting sharing this experience, this like body swap experience, where they're like sharing this like single consciousness almost, and as the movie goes along, they separate into two different people and are desperately trying to get... Back on the same page in some way. Hmm. Um, I think the reason it was so popular in Japan is that it is a perfect teen film. You know, we get the long distance, long distance romance between these two characters. Uh, the sci-fi is always going to appeal to teens as well, and it has this soundtrack from this band called the Radwimps, which is this really cute, like pop punk, post rock kind of combo, a little mathy, but also very like emo lyrics. And I think teens were probably going to see this movie, like, 20 times in a row. Like, if this movie had come out when I was 15 years old, my heart would have exploded in the theater. Like, it's such a perfectly calibrated movie for, like, teen earnestness and teen longing. And that, like, feeling of wanting to get out of your environment. Like, the kid in the city is really tired of busy city life. The girl in the country is really tired of, like, her boring-ass life where there's no cafes. And they just kind of, like, hang around in the mountains and do all these, like, Mm -hmm. old-fashioned religious ceremonies. So, you know, that sort of, like, teen longing and not really wanting to stay in your environment anymore and wanting to branch out, paired with this mind-blowing sci-fi psychedelia and also this, like, star-crossed romance where these kids, like, can't be with the person that they only know through this, like, supernatural event. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Your Name. It holds up very well. I I just watched it a second time recently. And just one of the most beautifully animated films I've seen in a long time, too. It's got got kind of, like, a Miyazaki look, but... Mm. um, Usually with Miyazaki, you're um, very much obsessed with the nature, like, the, the imagery of nature and flying and leaves blowing and in the, in the wind and stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is more, like, making city life look beautiful, like, like glistening off of skyscrapers and, like... Little tiny cute confectionaries and cafes and stuff. Uh, it's a, a much more yeah. urban version of a Miyazaki movie. Which, like, mm. Miyazaki
2: movies always feel like I'm so focused on the background mm-hmm. because there's so much cool, like, little tiny things going on. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like that.
0: That sounds really fun. Um, I, I highly recommend it. Like, if you have any patience for anime, it's, it's not something I've ever been obsessed with the way some people are, like, really plugged into that one. You don't go
2: to Mechacon?
0: <laughs> no, I don't even know what that is. Um.
2: It's an anime convention yep. they have downtown. My brother goes. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm sure your brother knows about this movie, if, that, if that's the case. I'll uh, no,
2: tell him about it. Sounds yeah. great.
0: It's really
1: great. Well, kind of related to Okta and, and meat, <laughs> my number four <laughs> is Raw. Yes. Yes. Uh, which, so fucking good. Um, <sighs> basic premise is there's a family of vegetarians that send their daughter to a veterinary school where her older sister is there as well. And as soon as she gets there, she's pretty much doused in pig's blood and mm. forced to eat raw... kidneys. Oh, no, yeah. But she kind of starts to come around to the taste of meat and then eventually is fiending for it to the point of cannibalism. Uh-huh. But this whole thing is just a window dressing for the, what's actually going on. It's her her sexual awakening, mm-hmm. her trying on different personalities, basically her kinda of going through these growing pains. It's
0: like when you first move out of your house to go to college or you right. know or whatever you do after you live in your house when you turn eighteen, like what happens when all these like new appetites and impulses sort of come to the surface that you never even knew about And you before? have to
2: make those like decisions for yourself too. Like there's no, nothing stopping you from going for it or stopping. Yeah. But so mo- yeah.
1: more so than I think any other movie on my list, there's specific scenes and images uh-huh. that just keep coming back to me her pulling giant hairballs out of her mouth or her under the sheets, like, scratching her skin. because rash. Yeah, uh, big rash because she has a reaction. The
0: bikini wax scene is... The oh. bikini oh. wax scene, like,
1: there's so many moments God. like that throughout that just have stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I do think, as, like, a coming-of-age story, it's a very effective metaphor. Yeah. Because you have these scenes of her lusting after some for classmates, and it will be juxtaposed with, like, a horse or some beautiful, majestic animal, and then you kind of get the sense, like, it's just meat. I really love this one. Yeah, it, I It almost was going to be my number one, and then I sort of went back on it a little bit because uh, I kind of had to let it kind of settle for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I watched it a second time, and it's so phenomenal.
0: Uh, kind of what you were talking about, We Are the Flesh, earlier, too. Like, as far as, like... Pushing the new French extremity stuff into a new territory. This is another French horror film. Um, first time female director for this one. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this one, I feel like, pulls back on the trying to shock you, gross out aspects. Like, yeah, the imagery of the rash and the bikini wax and stuff like that does stick out to you as gross. But the point of the movie is not to shock you. It's more about these, like, subtle familial dynamics and these, like, subtle awakenings within the main character it's not a shock a minute gross out movie right the way that something martyrs kind of is the
1: fact that it's directed by a woman it's a very i would imagine a, kind of the issues that specifically women have to deal with when going through that um sort of forming your identity it is <laughs> yeah I, i'm not a woman but that's a of, like with no the, it's really really relatable wax, for instance like kind of this pressure like mm-hmm. to be Completely like shaved, you know, that's the pressure society right. puts on. And then the scene where her and her sister are trying to pee standing up is really funny. There's a scene, mm-hmm. really cool scene, where she's looking in the mirror and it's kind of like a music video, and you see her sort of realize the power of her own sexuality. Right. Like moments like that where, like I said, it's such a powerful coming of age story and specifically about women.
2: I didn't expect it to be like that because I also I'm a huge fan of like cannibalism movies, so I went into it being like, oh yeah, cannibalism movie because that scares the shit out of me because it's real, but that's not what it is at all. But then it kind of is.
0: And and another thing that sort of like groups it in with a lot of movies we're talking about today is the fact that its widest distribution was also through Netflix. Like, yeah. this is a movie that I saw twice at broad theater. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I went. There was a person who brought their two toddlers. Oh,
2: fuck. And they were
0: screaming, crying through the whole film while this person. Not only answered phone calls on their cell phone during the movie, but also wouldn't leave to, like, bring their kids out of this, like, obviously it sounds like experience. the worst
2: person ever. Yeah,
0: they were pretty annoying. Like, um, <laughs> and I don't get
2: it. We're oh, I didn't know if you, there's a movie called Raw, and on the poster, it's a girl with blood dripping from her mouth. Don't yeah. bring your fucking kids to go see this.
0: They stayed the whole time. Um, <laughs> and then I went back a second time to sort of, like, let's... So were they, they there again? No. Okay. They're uh, <laughs> the
2: Raw crowd.
0: But... You know, it was barely at Broad. Like, it was maybe there for, like, a week or two. That's
2: great. It's just... That but was such a great movie. Now
0: it's, like, on Netflix, and everyone can watch it. It's, like, been widely available for months, Which is awesome,
2: because a lot of people are watching it. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people would have if it wouldn't have been... At least in the U.S. Yeah. It wouldn't have been so available.
0: And, I don't know, Netflix gets a lot of shit for not promoting the movies correctly and not doing theatrical distribution. I, I kind of get that. Yeah. Because it's hard to tell what to watch, because it all... Like... How do you know the difference between The Babysitter and Raw? Like, you don't really even get that much context clues about what you're watching. Uh, but I, I do appreciate their ability to get these smaller movies in people's houses. They make
2: it available for everybody. And it's yeah. like, everyone's so used to being spoon-fed stuff where it's like, if you think something's interesting, why don't you go look it up and figure it out for yourself and then press play.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, what's your number? What are we on? Okay. Five?
2: Four? On four. four, four. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: It? Yeah, Um, I really, really liked it. There was a lot of build-up, I think, for this movie where... I mean, I think there were, like, countdowns on the internet everywhere. It was, like, four more days. (laughs) And a little, like, red balloon would float up. So um, I did see the miniseries with Tim Curry years ago. And it was kind of boring to me, I think, because the miniseries was more about, like, the adults...
1: The second half of the miniseries is pretty awesome. bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So like, I remember all. I remember is like the guy with the ponytail riding his bicycle. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Honest to God, that's it. And then like the the storm drain scene that's so iconic, and that's all. So I kind of went into this kind of just like you know not really knowing what the whole story is, but what is such a cheesy plot like a killer clown, a killer fucking sewer clown that's killing kids? Like that sounds so silly but when you watch this movie it's terrifying mm-hmm. like i legit was scared
0: and it's beautiful too and it,
2: yeah like it's this gorgeous movie it's got like lots of fun humor in it like a lot of like new kids on the block jokes it's like a like a really intense goonies it's like ki- these kids are you know sort of this detective team and they're trying to figure out why all these kids are going missing because none of the adults really give a shit or and then like this, you know, clown is kind of haunting them. And there are parts where like stupid parts where they're in a garage watching a film reel, uh, and then I love like that scene. a twenty foot mm-hmm. Pennywise head comes through, and it's like something that sounds so silly scared the fuck out of me. That's
0: one of those like gorgeous uh, scares of the of the year, I think. Right, is that uh, slide projector scene?
2: Well, I saw it in three D.
0: Oh, awesome! So when
2: that part came, yeah. like
0: almost vomited on the lady in front of me. <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's just, like, all these, like, cool classic horror elements, like, everyone's scared of a clown. There's a haunted house. You know, there's abuse going on between, you know, the female character and her father and all these, like, really scary things. A new kid, a chubby new kid comes into town and gets beaten up and fucking, you know, his stomach gets slashed. Like, all this weird stuff happens that's also scary. Like, all these fun, scary elements just kind of come together.
1: Well, having read the book back in high school, it's considered, like, a classic but it's kind of a slog to get through it's like over a thousand pages good for you for reading no and and there's like a lot of unnecessary stuff in there and what i think the movie does well is basically picking the best parts and i don't think the original miniseries did as good of a job at doing Mm -hmm. that um this felt more true to the the book oh cool and also i think from a Historical. Well, it's weird to say historical because it just came out, but it definitely feels like mainstream horror is going to become a thing again, which right. is very, very exciting think for me. I
2: think it. It and Get Out this year put that on track, but even yeah. more than
0: Get Out, like this doesn't feel like Get Out in the way that it's not like a tiny movie that made a bunch of money. This is like a slickly produced right. horror film, and I think. Kind of getting away from the A twenty four like ambient horror, mm-hmm. where like the witch, the and... atmosphere is like really supposed to put you in this like state of dread, and like maybe something mm-hmm. spooky will happen, but you have to build up to it. This is a machine like routine of building up tension for a jump scare, the jump scare coming out at you, right. and, like, sort of the rotary dial resets, and they start building up the tension again, and then you get the horror film related. It's like a Yeah, it's, like, over and over uh-huh. and over again. It gets in this, like, yeah, like, machine-like rhythm. And it's like, oh, yeah, old-fashioned
1: horror film storytelling really does work, still. work, And people want to go see them and yeah. they make a shit ton of money. Which right. it did. Um, yeah, and I, I was sort of getting burnt out on that style of yeah, like I like uh, like it follows and the witch, like those are great movies. But there was a movie, uh, and I actually I think it might be in your top twenty. It, it was com- at my number eleven. It comes at yeah. night. Mm-hmm. That to me was that genre at the end point. Like I really don't need to see another atmospheric where nothing really happens. That art house style of horror, I think it's yeah sorta of getting was getting played out a little and that's why it was refreshing. Right. Because, like a popcorn flick that like
2: We see what we're scared of. It's not this unknown
1: yeah. thing. I, I really like it comes at night. I think it gets kind of a shit into the stick. What I'm saying is I think the tide mm-hmm. has started to turn in the other direction I think, again.
0: I think get out's a pretty good middle ground, right? Like that one does a little bit of both.
2: Yeah, where it has like like the sci-fi part of it is like the <laughs> Yeah, You know, but I see what you're saying.
0: But I, I liked it a lot.
2: It gave me the kind of fear, like, I don't know if y'all do that thing where you feel like Satan's going to grab your feet if your feet <laughs> hang off the bed at night and you don't cover it with your blanket, but it feels like when you wake up in the middle of the night and your feet aren't covered. <laughs> Such a good film.
0: Uh, my number <laughs> four is a little more serious, I guess. Uh, okay. It's a genre I normally wouldn't rate this high. Uh, it's a biopic film. Ooh. This is probably one of the better biopics I've ever seen in my life. Other standouts of the genre would be, like, Kinsey and Ed Wood. But it's not really a genre I care about, generally. Um, It's called Tom of Finland. And it is uh, about a pornographer-illustrator called Tom of Finland. His black-and-white drawings of rough-looking men wearing leather costumes (laughs) in these, like, sexually explicit cartoons uh, pretty much invented the fetish of leather daddies. He is a uh, World War II veteran who at the beginning of the film kills one person by knife and is sort of like traumatized by that experience like stabbing this man that he doesn't know and then Mm -hmm. looking in his eyes after the fact and like kind of being super attracted to him (laughs) uh (laughs) this movie is very much not well behaved in terms of like how biopics usually go this is not a birth to death Wikipedia article in motion. Um, It's more of this lyrical, poetic, sweeping story that weaves in and out of this man's adult life. Uh, Time is sort of cyclical, so you watch that exchange with the Russian soldier I was just referencing probably five or six times throughout the movie as it sort of like comes back into his life and starts reinforming things. This is an adult man who has uh, to deal with the fact that he's queer in Finland at a time where that's illegal in the 1950s. And as he becomes more and more confident in, uh, expressing his queer identity in public, uh, that's when the sort of leather daddy culture starts to emerge in his artwork. And then he inspires it, uh, in other people, especially in America, in San Francisco and New York, uh, these sort of communities sort of sprout up around this like aesthetic he's created in his pornography. He is very Riley funny. He's a, a, a dry wit. Uh, makes you laugh a lot, especially when he's working as an ad man. He has a lot of, like, jokes about, like, corporate culture that are really funny. But the movie is this sort of grand classical art piece uh, that mixes classical music and disco in this dreamlike drift through this man's adult life. If I had to estimate its aesthetic, I think it's halfway between Todd Haynes's Carol and William Freakin's Cruising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this, like, heavy leather action and this, like pumping disco soundtracks and like sweaty men dancing together and then also <laughs> the sort of like every frame of painting like classical carol aspect where it's like you know forbidden queer romance in this mm-hmm. like time where it wasn't allowed uh, and those two aesthetics it's not an a to b where like things get better from the carol period to the cruising period it's more they're mixed in this like poetic jumble where the two sort of like coincide and swirl together in this like yeah, like, lyrical, like, not traditional drama. It's a really gorgeous film. I saw it a couple times, once at New Orleans Film Fest and once at Chalmette. And both times I was floored by it. Absolutely gorgeous work. Mm-hmm.
1: Love it. Yeah, I've seen other kind of similar, I guess, biopics, documentaries. And it seems like that's really the best way to get a sense of, of a person. Is Like you were saying, not the Wikipedia. Like, they were born here and they mm-hmm. died here kind of deal that a lot of older biopics would be like it's more about basically all the stuff they've experienced in their life and kind of like you were saying cyclical everything's sort of happening at once and we get a sense of it, it just seems like it gives a better sense of who they actually are as a person than just the facts yeah from point a to point b the, the movie's very loose with like time progressing
0: but it's so confident and it trusts you to make these leaps There's consequences to these, like, things that happen that it doesn't hold your hand and, like, show you everything that happens. Like, you kind of just have to fill in the gaps yourself. And the way it trusts you to do that is, like, very inspiring. Like, it's not something that has to mull over every detail. Uh, It's more about, you know, like you were saying, capturing, like, his personality. And actually, the complaint I've seen from a lot of people—because I'm a lot higher on this than most critics— the complaint is that the movie is not as sexually transgressive as Tom artwork was because his work is very explicit and like very like in your face, masculine porn. That's kind of an unfair expectation because not everyone is as extreme as their sexual fetishes might, uh, might suggest. And I feel like the movie is very honest about how he was kind of like a mild mannered man who got very horny thinking about these different things and how that inspired other people to, sort of live in his uh, fetishistic view of masculine sexuality in a more full-time lifestyle so that when he catches up with them in the 70s and he sees, like, what he inspired, his mind is kind of blown. Like, there's these leather daddy communities in New York. Like, he basically visits, like, the set of Cruising and, like, it's like, (laughs) how did this happen? Like, all I did was draw pictures that made my cock hard. I didn't expect to, like, start this whole community. Like, his impact. Yeah.
2: Everyone's seen these pictures at some point, or at least the one of like the juicy sailor guy. That's you know like this pencil shade end drawing. But I didn't I had no idea that there was like this massive story mm-hmm. behind the guy that did this doodle. You yeah. know, so I'm I'm really stoked to see this.
0: Highly that's, recommend it. Very classy, but also fun and sexy, and, and not <laughs> not like a uh, not like a queer misery porn drama either. Like if it had been like a life to death story, it would have ended on like a tragic note. Instead, right. this is more of like
1: a triumphant like feel good drama. celebration. Yeah. Cool. My number three is Columbus. Is that yeah. That? It, so it stars John Cho, who people know from Harold and Kumar. Mm-hmm. Uh, first dramatic role I've ever <laughs> seen him in. And he's so good. So it's about this famous professor of architecture who has like a an accident and he's in a coma and he's in Columbus, Indiana which apparently I did not know is kind of the hub of modernist architecture. And so the John Cho character goes down there to look after his daddy's in the hospital, and he's just sort of roaming around, kind of, you know, just looking at the buildings, whatever, and he meets this young librarian, and they sort of become fast friends, and she's an architecture nerd. So she basically acts as his tour guide, and most of the movie is just them walking around the city, smoking cigarettes, talking about architecture. So that, in its own, is like really cool because, first of all, the architecture of the city is awesome, and second of all, the way the movie is shot, it has its own sort of architecture, where everything has these perfect lines, and everything is framed in a really clear way, like everything's in a certain box, or, it looks beautiful, and, You think that the movie is really just, like, about the architecture of the city, whatever. But as you start to get to know more about these characters and their lives and their relationship starts to form, the architecture, in a way, starts to become, like, this really poetic metaphor for what they're going through in their lives. It's such a, like, sweet, smart movie. And I love stuff like they were. it's, like, ultra low budget. Mm -hmm. There's no real action so to speak it's just really fleshed out characters talking and you really get to know both of these characters he is kind of in his father's shadow and he's hanging around this city doesn't really want to be in he's just sort of waiting for his dad to die they weren't even that close the librarian sort of has the opposite thing where she's super Close to her mother, who's a recovering meth addict, and she has the opportunity to go study architecture, like in New York, but she's hesitant to do it because she doesn't want to leave her mother behind. So you have, they're both kind of feel like they're forced to stay in this city they don't really well, want to be in. He's like
2: there for his dad. Yeah, and I see you're
1: saying. And she's like, they're stuck there for like obligations. Yeah, yeah, and they have these obligations and. They have really great chemistry, both the actors, and I love where it could have gone in a romantic direction because you get the sense like, oh, they're really good for each other and they mm-hmm. connect so much, but it's not that kind of thing. It's just they're deep friends. It's kind
2: of nice, too, because I feel like a lot of things like that are like heavily romanticized where it's like sometimes you could just be like, you can connect on a different level with somebody. Yeah,
1: there, there's like a like small little scene where they kind of like, it could have, maybe happened mm-hmm. but it just didn't and it just feels so real and true to life and how relationships actually form and dissipate yeah it's just really smart and beautifully shot and it really highlights the city and it's it's such a sweet little gem yeah it just kind of swept me away mm-hmm. and i really loved it and it kind of took me by surprise so uh, wh- one of the only ones i haven't
0: seen that are like making a lot of like top lists recently but also it is widely available now on like hulu and amazon Prime, so i need to catch up with that as well nice what's your number three Brittany?
2: get out Ooh. yeah so that's my number three um god i feel like everyone's like talked this damn movie to death but it's so fucking good but kind of like i was saying bef- um, before i've watched this movie three times and i feel like each time i watch it like there's something else that i discover or i look at it in a totally different way I haven't, like, watched this, like, with my, like, family. But I really do want to, like, watch it with them together. Just so they can... Because it really does put you in that place where it's... Like, a lot of people are like, oh, like, I'm liberal. And I'm white. And I understand. And I get this. I'm woke. I'm woke. (laughs) Right. But really, it's like, you can be woke all you want. You still don't have the experience. So, like, just shut your mouth and let, you know, the people who have the experience kind of talk. And that's kind of what this does. It, like you see this whole thing through the perspective of this guy, this, you know, young African-American man who, you know, was a photographer living in the city, just this average guy. And, you know, seeing people judge him. Yeah. Yeah. People
0: don't lump the same with like, Oh, this is Trump's America horror. Uh, But I Mm -hmm. think probably more accurately, it's like, bucking against the
1: it's more Obama yeah it's support. like
0: oh oh we elected a black president racism's over yeah this we is can like move past
1: it now it's, it's like, like no, actually it's no. no yeah it's it made like, people more racist
0: sometimes <laughs> which I really
1: one thing I, I liked about it too is it could have backed off and be like okay uh, not all white people are bad and had like one sympathetic white character but there's really none pretty <laughs> much every white character in this movie is a bad guy or girl. Right. And, like, and I, I I like that. It's like, right. they just went with it. Because we
2: don't... A lot of those films, which is why, like, I, I still haven't watched The Help because it's, you know, these, like, white savior movies uh-huh. where, you know, even if you have that one good white character, I feel like they would have taken the bulk of the success in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, oh, well, oh, that, like, you know, everyone kind of focuses on the nice white person in these movies and it mm-hmm. should be focused on Well, I'm like them. It. I'm
0: not like these other people. Exactly. I'm like, the, I'm like the good one.
2: Exactly. So it's kind of really, this is a thinker for everybody no and, matter how fucking woke you are. And
0: it goes beyond that too where like the concept of whiteness is a horror Listening to the Dirty Dancing soundtrack or cra- carrying around this, like, lacrosse stick. Like, oh, God. At, like, the so whitest funny. things you could possibly think of are, like, made to be these, like, <laughs> right. creepy Eating things. Fruit
2: Loops or like, how she's, like, separating colors from the white milk. And yeah. All this, like, stupid shit. I can't, like, even explain how, like, great Get Out is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's already become part of, like, cultural iconography, like, The Sunken mm-hmm. Place and right. just, like, the, the title, Get Out. People have been, like, using that to describe the <laughs> Will situations. you ever
2: stir your tea the right. same again?
0: Right. Um, well, my number three is also another one we've already talked to death, uh, The Lore. Not really anything you could say besides the fact that it's a <laughs> Polish uh, mermaid horror musical uh, first-time female director. It's her first feature she's made shorts before mm-hmm. uh, mind blowing the level <laughs> of spectacle she was able to pull off in this film also kind of like with get out when you watch it again and the themes start to like resonate with you more yeah the fact that like love greed feminism alcoholism body dysmorphia betrayal revenge fluid sexuality like yeah. the movie tackles all these different things in this like fun bubblegum glittery MTV-inspired fairy tale. And it's also a violent, gory, sexed-up, over-the-top, like, camp fest in some ways as well. I It's one of those movies where, like, I can't believe how many different things it's able to accomplish in a very short nice. amount of time. I, I can't recommend it anymore. Just the experience of watching it is such a novelty. Have you seen the Laureate, James?
1: No. You got no, to. I, 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 I've seen the, the poster. Amazing. No, it totally... <laughs> Totally interested in it. I saw the poster for it. It looked really intriguing, but mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was about. And then hearing y'all describe it, holy shit. i me <laughs> check that out. <laughs> yeah, so my number two is Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. That's the title? That is the title. That's my long title. Y'all got yours in. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is the latest movie by Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough. His other two films are Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. He is an Irish playwright and this is his third feature film. Uh, It starts Frances McDormand as the mother of a young girl that was raped and murdered just down the street from her house. And the cops can't figure out who did it. They kind of give up on the case. So uh, seven months go by and she decides to rent out three billboards on this road basically calling out the police for not solving it. And it kind of creates this cycle of violence where the cops are angry at her and getting back at her. And then she is uh, getting at the cops. And it's really remarkable in the way... And his other films are like this, especially in Bruges, like where it tonally hits multiple notes in the same scene. It will go from being funny to really sad to extremely violent and then back again, all in the course of like one scene. And the whole movie sort of plays like that. Yeah. Like like there's a scene, for instance, uh Woody Harrelson plays the head cop and he is dying of cancer. There's a scene where he's he's taken the Francis mcdormick character in for questioning, and he ends up accidentally coughing blood into her face. And, you know, they're butting heads the whole movie, but At that point, she kind of takes on a more motherly sort of vibe with him, and he tells her, like, I'm so sorry, didn't mean to do that. And the whole movie um, plays like that, and it's just so, so well written in the sense that, like, I saw this in the theater, and everyone was, like, laughing at the jokes. Like, every single joke. And there's lots of funny moments in this picture, and they all land. And a lot of it has to do with Sam Rockwell, who plays this, like, racist buffoon of a cop but he has a lot of the movie's funniest moments. Um, but yeah, so it's just the way that he plays around with tone. And then some of the climactic scenes are extremely violent. Violence is an undercurrent in everything that happens in this movie. And it, uh, the reason I put it so high is I would say it had the best script, best dialogue yeah. of anything I saw This year, it's a... Have y'all seen In Bruges? No. This
0: movie's always struck me as, like, macho in a way that I don't really care to indulge in. But I've heard good things about In Bruges to the point where I should watch it.
1: You should really watch uh, it. uh,
0: This one actually ended up being kind of a controversial movie this year, because people were very uncomfortable with the redemption that Sam Rockwell's, like, racist cop gets towards the end of the film. Uh, But I don't necessarily think that's why I didn't see it. I think it was more... From the trailer, I got a very like macho, violent, like post Tarantino style dialogue vibe out of it that I wasn't particularly interested in. Uh, not that I will never see it; I just wasn't going to rush to watch it in the theater.
1: I, I think to me, it had more of a Cormac McCarthy vibe, mm-hmm. or at least from the like trailer, that's what it seemed like it was going to be to me. But it's it's really not. It's kind of a dark comedy in, in the Coen Brothers mm. style. Yeah. Um, you really should check out his stuff because I think he's one of the best screenwriters. Shles, yeah, all the characters are really fleshed out, even mm-hmm. though they're all kind of bad people. Like that's mm-hmm. another thing. Like you, it would seem like the Francis McDormand character is the one to root for. Like, oh yeah, I want to see the mother find out who killed her daughter. But when she's yeah. throwing Molotov cocktails at the police station. <laughs> Like, then it's like, oh, wait, maybe you're taking your (laughs) anger and vengeance a little too far. It's like a
0: revenge mission without any tangible goal because it's not going to bring her daughter back. So, like, she's basically just like causing worse pain in the world. Yeah,
1: she's like on a warpath in this town, and her like violence uh, begets more violence. And it's just a cycle that brings the whole town into like destruction. But there is a redemptive part at the end where it leaves the door open like maybe mm-hmm. her and the Sam Rockwell character have sort of learned that this isn't the way to yeah.
2: go. I would love to watch. I love Frances McDormand.
1: She is so good in this. She I just... like, the
2: last thing I saw her was Olive Kitteridge, mm-hmm. and it was so bomb.
1: She tears it up. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Peter Dinklage is in it. Peter Dinklage oh, cool. is like, he's keeps asking her out on a date, and then mm-hmm. finally he gives her like an alibi so he can get a date. But more more than anything else, what I liked about it is it hit so many disparate tones at the same time, and to me, it, like, was effective in all of them. If
0: a movie's confident Mm -hmm. enough doing that, like, it's always really impressive. Yeah.
1: Like, Like I, I found myself, like, on the verge of crying in a scene, and then laughing, and then, like, getting angry at one of the characters, and it sort of just brings you through all these emotions. Yeah. Um... I love this movie. Cool. It's so good. And you check it out. Yeah, y'all should check it out. Uh, What's your number two, Brittany?
2: My number two is Split.
1: Yeah. Split, yeah, cool.
2: (laughs) I loved it. Loved it. Oh, I'm so glad. I love psychological thrillers. No matter how stupid or how cheesy they get, I love them. And I love how this one was sort of like... I, you really felt like you were one of the victims trapped in there. Like, the idea of being trapped in a place you don't know where the fuck you are. Mm-hmm. There's you're The person who's trapped you, you don't know what his motive is. Like, what's the whole point of you being here? And you're so confused. Like, that all that fear and anxiety of, like, what is he gonna do next? Or who is he gonna appear as? And all this kind of stuff was just so, like, bone-chilling to me. And the ridiculous ending was awesome. Yeah. I loved it. Like I I did not see it coming because I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, like you're going to want to watch Unbreakable before you do this." And I'm like, "I don't understand how the fuck this could ever be related to Unbreakable." Like I didn't understand that until like at the very like what 5 minutes you're like, "Oh god." Yeah, when he does
1: that transformation, you're like, "Oh man, he's a like a <laughs> super villain. a super villain." Yeah. Right.
2: So I'm crossing my fingers for at least a fucking trilogy or something. That w- I just love all this, mm-hmm. and like I said, like James McAvoy is probably like my favorite actor of all time. So and he fucking kills it,
1: dude. That he that part it. like at the end where he's like finally completely split and he's jumping between <laughs> so the different personas like one after the other and he's like yeah. twitching and then he'll go into a. Another one, like, that made me very uncomfortable. it's like, this dude is fucking insane. Right. And then he has uh, sequences where he dances to Kanye West and, like, delivers,
0: like, the most awkward, like, childlike kiss. Uh, yeah. It's a very all-over-the-place It was so cute. Yeah. Just kidding. No, it was so fucked up. Um, <laughs> it's both.
2: But that's the thing, where once you get towards the end, it's not really a DID issue, Mm-mm. I think. And then you're like, oh, like, because that was an issue I had. I'm like, is this just going to, like you know exploit this mental illness but then you find out it really isn't it's it's outside of reality (laughs) right so it's okay to watch this movie and like it
0: yeah and and the ending as well not unusual Shyamalan twist where like it changes the story you've already watched right? like a gotcha like oh this is actually what's happening more it just like expands the story into like this larger set of themes there's a
2: Shyamalan universe that is brewing and we are fucking ready for it yeah
0: and I think the next movie's called Glass, and that Split. should be coming out soon. Uh, my number two was also a repeat, uh, We Are the Flesh, which I've been talking about <laughs> for months and months. Started slipping down my list as time went on, and then I rewatched it recently, and it was like, oh yeah, I fucking love this movie. Um, I think I think it is a surrealist masterpiece. I know I've referenced Louis uh Exterminating Angel a few times this episode, because uh, it is really one of my favorite kinds of movies, like... The never-ending party where, like,
1: people are just compelled to stay in this, like, awful scenario. Also, you know what it reminded me of um, that I watched again recently with Society? The shunting. The shunt. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. It totally, totally. The, the, la- <laughs> the, the last hunting. part
1: of that movie is very reminiscent of We Are the Flesh. Oh. Uh, but I think <laughs> what, I think what this movie gets into
0: is even larger Bunuel influences. Like, you know, the the short film about, like, slicing eyeballs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh It has this, like, provocative imagery to it. There's, like, this pregnant child. Uh, There's these flats of eggs. There's this intricate depiction of, like, making crude alcohol out of bread. These really just sort of gross, provocative images. Um, The first time that the brother and sister actually consummate their, like, incestuous attraction to each other, it turns into this, like, intensely colored lit music video with this, like, feature-length song. The imagery of the cave... I feel like it's a movie that evokes all these different experiences and reactions from you out of, like, the pure power of imagery. And sometimes it's just, like, a close-up shot of genitals, uh, of both both sets of genitals. Um, How and, old
2: are the brother and sister?
0: Uh, They're, like, 20, I would guess. Okay. Yeah, somewhere around there.
2: I'm just
1: like, okay. Yeah, they're not, like, children. I
2: was picturing, like, a 12-year-old, no, no, no. and I'm like, fuck.
1: That was just the <laughs> flowers in the attic, but... Oh, uh, that was a beautiful <laughs> shot of just, like, a vagina. Yeah. There's a dick. Right. (laughs) Like, you don't get much more basic than that. And I think that it makes a grander, like, sensory experience
0: out of these, like, smaller objects. Like, eggs and cardboard and stuff. Like, the same way the cardboard transforms into a real Plato's cave by the end. I feel like these, like, small images of, like, eggs and genitals and things sort of transform into this, like,
1: experience that's sort of greater than the movie's budget. But when you think about, like, the themes going on... Like, they're inside of a birth canal, and then mm-hmm. there's eggs. It does all sort of tie in yeah. together. It's it's kind of, um, I mean, genius in that way. The images that they choose, it evokes something, like, deeper and more human. But it's still, like, isolated, too. Like, there's a sequence where they slit a, a soldier's
0: throat while singing. Oh, that was fucked. And while singing the Mexican national anthem. And it's like, okay, this is tied into, like, a greater political point about, like, existential... Dwelling in this, like, Uh sort of, like, not satisfying society uh, social structure.
1: But it's not a clear thesis. It's more like a a feeling. Well, I do wonder, if we were Mexican moviegoers, would we understand the point of this film more? Is there something, like... Because, obviously, by having the national anthem playing during that scene, and it seems like it was trying to say something, maybe in the same sense of, like, Salo was really about like Italian fascism. So it seemed like there was a political context that I didn't quite grasp onto because I'm not a part of that culture, you know what I'm I, saying, but I I think it's more philosophical. I think it's more tied into what you talk about sometimes which is like
0: the breakdown of social structure to I've heard you call it the lowest common no- denominator. It's a breakdown of societal systems until everyone is like the same depraved pile of flesh. And mm-hmm. we're, like, literally just physical objects uh, by the end of the film. And, like, none of our structures that, like, provide a meaning or, like, a productive... Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, government is part
1: of that. Government, family, church. Yeah. When all that's thrown away, we're, it, just, we're just objects. Yeah, it's kind of like a nihilistic... Thing we're like, where where is the meaning right. now? Once we've gotten rid of all, that. and maybe
0: the point is there is no meaning.
1: Which uh, the is meaning very is dark. just the flesh. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's where I thought it was
0: kind of honing in on. But it's not so clear that there's nothing to think about. It's not like you know, mother or something, where like the mm. allegory is super clear from get go, and you just like watch it play out. It's more like I have no idea what's going to come in the next sequence because I don't even know what it's trying to say. By the end of the movie, you're still like stewing in like all these like dreadful thoughts or <laughs> like you're trying to piece together the meaning of it, and the
1: more you do that, the more there feels like there's no meaning to anything. And it's like a really scary thought. But did, did you feel like that final scene kind of added a layer of meaning that really like, at least for me, gave it a clear sort of point of view? Right. Kind of. Totally.
0: It's not it it removes it from this sort of abstract space and makes it more relatable. Uh, to the way we live our lives now in a way that I found very rewarding. Some people thought that was a, kind of a cheap twist. Uh, oh, I, no, I don't get I don't, that at all. I think it's, I don't I think it's very... Um, it helps the movie. But even without that ending, I feel like the movie does like really interesting psychological things to the viewer that I don't know if I've seen
1: any other movies recently that like fucked me up that much. That's what I was saying when I was talking about it earlier. I kind of am doubtful that any movie can fuck me up anymore in that way. And then you see something like that, and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, no, there's still filmmakers out there, that, and they're trying and succeeding. And I know you said you um, recently subscribed to Shudder, which is only
0: $5 a month, and mm. they have like, this really deep horror backlog. And you can even add it on through your Amazon, so it's like really convenient. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, they have this movie. This is the only place to legally watch it, is through Shudder or by buying it in Blu-ray. So, um, highly recommend just getting the one month shutter rental i think it's even like a free week trial if you just want to watch this movie
1: poke around the library yeah that's what i did i got it just to watch this and then i was like damn they got a nice catalog and i just like kept it so do you want to count down your top five james yeah so i got split at five uh and we got raw columbus uh three billboards and then my number one which we've Already touched on is mother,
2: Ooh. which Good one. I kind of have a
1: different, slightly different maybe take or opinion than y'all on this movie and maybe why it really affected me. Well, first of all, like I mentioned, I watched it on Christmas with my mother. Every about 30 minutes or so, we would pause it and kind of discuss because oh. she would ask like, oh, do you understand? Like, what is that? mean like I and she had her theories which were pretty right too and we were kind of discussing so it was like a memorable viewing experience to watch that movie with your mom and then seeing the horror on the final third of the movie when it really goes into that dark dark place and seeing how it kind of affected her but what I think I really love about this movie is I know y'all have kind of said like the allegory is pretty clear But is it? Like, I don't think it's... I think it's about a lot of different things at once. I think there's a main three, though. There's the full retelling of the
0: Bible from Genesis to, you know, the end of the New Testament. And then there's the environmentalist allegory about, like, treating Mother Nature in, like, the Earth and, like, paying attention to how we relate and how we are, like, a burden on the planet. Right. Uh, And then there's a third allegory about, like, the burden of being in love with an
1: artist who is a selfish human being who, who kind of he... uses you for their own fame or mm-hmm. inspiration, whatever. And all those are tied together by this,
0: like, absurdist horror film about parties and, like, not, ha- people not leaving your home. <laughs> like, having your personal space invaded by people who don't belong there. Yeah, it
1: just... It hit me on pretty much every level a movie can hit me yeah. on. It's like, there was the philosophical like allegory stuff that as I'm watching it, all three of those allegories are sort of going around in my head and they start like intersecting with each other in a unique way in the sense that maybe the way humanity treats mother nature is Mm -hmm. the same way that some men use women. And then you tie that in with the biblical stuff. So it's all this like deep history kind of interlocking with each other. So you have that deep meaning going on but then also the visceral like horror of just a party that won't end you know like the exterminating angel type of scenario so that's going on and then just visually the look of it was gorgeous too and there was no other movie this year that was able to affect me on all those levels mm-hmm. at the same time to where i had to like stop it every now and again and really like take a breath and kind of gather my thoughts and mm-hmm. that's really why I go to the movies. Like, that's what I want. I, I think maybe besides Get Out, like, this
0: is probably one of the more important films of the year. Just for people to have a conversation about, like, art and, like, how they personally interpreted things that happened in the film. And Right. It's, a, it's more engaging, maybe not even philosophically, but, like, intellectually than our usual things that everybody talks about. Like, I don't know, like a Marvel movie or something. Even if you think it's a dumb, like, obvious metaphor, like, the fact that you have something strong to say about it and that it elicits a strong reaction out of you right. is like an important part of like major studio filmmaking
1: yeah the fact that it was so polarizing is i think a true like sign of a great movie that's going to stand the test of time that people will talk about right. for years after the fact do you mm-hmm. want to count down your top five Brittany?
2: sure so okja numero five um four it three get out Two, Split. And number one, as Mr. Gordon Ramsay would say, It's Raw! What? Oh, raw? Yeah. Oh,
1: really? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Love, I loved Raw. Oh, our top five was kind of similar. Um, I liked that.
2: Yeah, who knew? I liked it a lot because it felt so real. I mean, it's very gory and, you know, there's all this, like, you know, other kind of weird shit in it, but it feels like such a real thing. It doesn't feel like a movie to me. Whenever I watch it, it just kind of feels like... Like a home video. Oh, no. It's not like something I've experienced with, like, you know, home video, but just kind of like the way that it's just filmed. Like, it just doesn't feel like a movie. And then just kind of like, you know, the main character, Justine, is so relatable. Like, she, I really thought about, like, you know, when I first, like, moved out, got a place of my own, started working, going to college. Like, that whole, you know, she's going to this veterinary school, and the school's very creepy, like the weather's always kind of gray, and the school's kind of mm-hmm. just like this, like just something unfamiliar and scary, kind of like anything you do on your own at first. That's how it is. And so she's trying to like figure all that out while having this like internal struggle. I mean, we've all, everyone's been through that at some point in their life. So it was kind of cool how, and, and the girl who plays Justine, I don't even know what her name is. I uh, knew it's it. like, Garance Marlier or something. Shh.
1: Dude, she gave 110% oh into that performance. Yeah.
2: I think she's the one that, like, really sold that role um, yeah. and made it so relatable. Um, just the way, you know, her, emo- like, she can express her emotions through just her, face- her facial expressions. It's just so good.
1: And yeah. she does change as the movie goes on. Yeah. you I mean, see what I was talking about where she kind of awakens to her sexuality. After that, she's a different person, like...
2: And she's still trying to, like, navigate it, too, like... You try these things, and sometimes you make an ass out of yourself, and sometimes it's a stupid decision, but... And she kind of goes through that with, you know, like, acting like a fool at the party or being weird with the dead body uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. And she's
0: got pressures from her, like, mother and her sister trying to tell her what right. she should be doing. And her school. And her school, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of social pressure from, like, all kinds of right, different directions. Yeah. And even just like being attracted to her roommate, who right. um, is ostensibly gay and doesn't want any inter- <laughs> and doesn't have any interest in her. Poor heart. There's a lot of like implications from all directions telling her what to do, uh, right? And the way she navigates that's really interesting and subtle. That was really high on Boomer's list as well, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure we haven't done it yet. But whenever we do our like website top ten, I'm pretty sure it's yeah, me very high up there.
2: Plus, the gore is great. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, aside from all, like, the mushy-gushy stuff, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, the blood, the dripping, the stickiness of it, it's just so cool. I think they
0: oversold it a little bit in the marketing. Like, Mm -hmm. they sent out the movie to movie theaters with, like, barf bags, and, like, the, uh... I think that's fun. The word of mouth on a con was that, like, people passed out during the screenings and stuff. It's not that kind of movie. It's not like trying to gross you out. No, right. But when it does have to be gory, it it has no problem getting It doesn't pull any punches. Right.
2: I didn't know they sent out barf bags. Yeah. That's uh, funny.
0: Even the Broad Theater got barf bags. Really? Yeah. They didn't hand them out, but they got them. Well, I want to do a quick top uh, countdown as well. My top five were... Actually, the only movies I gave five-star reviews to all year were these five movies. Um, (laughs) Your Name, Tom of Finland, The Lore... We are the Flesh and the Florida Project. Surprised This
1: wasn't on anyone else's list. I guess y'all didn't, didn't see, see it, it man. <laughs> I I didn't. I missed it in theaters, and then definitely the number one like regret of not seeing this year.
0: Uh, it was the opening film for New Orleans Film Fest this year. So the first time I saw it was at the Orpheum at this like really fancy schmancy building, which is really weird because this is like a Sean Baker film. It's his follow up to Tangerine, and it's following these like kids in this, like, slum motel community outside of Disney World in Florida. Um, And he's said in interviews, it's his, like, love letter to, like, the little rascals. So you watch these, like, little poor kids, like, playing in the dirt outside of, like, Mm -hmm. this tourist trap. And they are basically living on the poverty line, so you would maybe expect it to be, like, last year's American Honey, like, sort of this, like, misery porn about, like, poverty. But it's not that at all. It's this, like punk defiant spirit where these kids like laugh in the face of like all authority and life obstacles Uh, even well-meaning authority figures like Willem Dafoe plays this motel manager you would expect the movie to have more sympathy for him and it kind of does than like I don't know cops or like CPS but these kids do not give a shit like they laugh they play they subvert his authority they like put his job in jeopardy a few times just like turning this shitty situation they're kind of financially stuck in into this, like, playground where they have, like, fun in this, like, shitty scenario. Uh, the opening song of the film is Celebrate Good Times. Was
2: it Cool, cool in the game? Gang? like yeah, yeah. that? Yeah.
0: Um, so the movie, like, uses that almost like a battle cry. Like, it's like, we're gonna celebrate the good times that could be had in this, like, fucked up environment. And the couple times where it strays into the devastating like real life circumstances that these kids are like near homeless or near being in a group homes foster system kind of scenario uh the movie pulls away from that we know as an audience like what these real life scenarios would be and like what danger they're living in but the movie is more focused on their specific point of view and like finding like vibrant play within this like fucked up scenario when we first did this podcast Tangerine was in my top five of that year. Mm -hmm. I think this one, I would even rate slightly higher because the point of view is more insular and more from the the perspective of the subjects. Where in like Tangerine, there's a few moments, especially with like the taxi driver and things you like pull out of the perspective of the sex workers into this sort of like outside scenario. Mm -hmm. In Florida Project, you are always from the kid's point of view. You always see everything from their vantage point And it's got this like skewed, fun, dangerous punk energy to it. And also, what might maybe rank it slightly higher than Tangerine is that uh, it's shot on 35mm instead of on an iPhone. It's got (laughs) this like very rich, vibrant colors in these like fake amusement park communities outside of Mm. Disney World. Highly recommend it. It's a really like emotionally complex film. I I cried a couple times watching it, but it's not misery porn. It's like a fun, rambunctious little rascals type experience within this like real life devastating scenario. I, I know not everyone saw it. Uh, if it gets an Oscar nomination, it will probably do another theatrical run early in the year. Um, so if you can see it in the theater, I highly recommend it. Cause it is like a good visual piece on top nice. of being this like fun punk uh subversive authority snub like it snubs its nose authority and it's got actually several people we talked about earlier in this episode um caleb landry jones who plays the creepy brother in get out is mm-hmm. in the film he plays uh <laughs> defoe's son which is great casting because they, they look, look kind of similar
2: like yeah.
0: uh, also macon blair who directed uh, i don't feel at home in this world anymore plays like a tourist that they rip off in the film and like oh. steal <laughs> is like tourist money Also on that same uh, New Orleans Film Fest episode where we ranted about Tom of Finland, Uh, we also, me and Cece went on about this movie for, like, minutes and minutes. So if you want to hear more about that episode 45, we go into it a little deeper. Kind of wrapping up everything we said, we did have, like, a bunch of overlap this year, which was really great. Yeah. Um, We repeated on We Are the Flesh, Get Out, The Lure*, Split, and Raw. And I would say our collective movie of the year was Mother, uh, the same way The Witch was a standout last year. This was our movie of the year in uh,
1: 2017 as well. Mm-hmm. I, and I think it does have a lot a lot to do with that polarizing. Like, even if you hated it, you're going to remember it. Yeah. That That's not that surprising. And this is our second full year of podcasting.
0: Our, our first episode was... Our favorite films of twenty fifteen. Uh, so two years later, <laughs> we're getting into our second year of like full podcasting, and uh, it's
1: really exciting. Yeah, and you got your new mic. Yeah, yeah we
0: got a new microphone and progress.
1: All we three of us
0: that. are going to be back in the mic in a couple months as well for a single mm-hmm. episode. We should probably do that more often, because it's
1: fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Agreed. And uh, we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.